you're listening to Shy and Sound. My name is Yutha Shy. And I am Finn Sound Nicholas. Uh, and we are your favourite crime duo. We're out <laughs> here in the streets, or just on a reign of, uh, people call it terror, but I call it error. Because we get up to some pretty silly hijinks yeah. uh, along the way. We're a modern body and Clyde, except that we are platonic friends. <laughs> um, but <laughs> which people say lowers the stakes. And, and I have to say it is reflected in both our body count and, uh, you know, the podcast's ratings. People are, we, you know, we're still getting the letters about how we should fall in love. And it is just like... I, I, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm not I, into. I, I know there are a lot of big fans of our of our crimes out there, but please stop shipping us. We're real people. <laughs> yeah, we are. Uh, and can people please? We're well aware of the treasure trove on Ao3 <laughs> that you know recasts us as siblings who then commit incest. While probably in a band, like that's normally <laughs> like, or, yeah. or, you know, us at high school. And it's like, we like at high school, when, when I would be in like seventh form and would still be in primary school, like that is getting like, it's much more sinister <laughs> if, if like, because we all know that Finn was the person who, who came to my house one day like like Morrissey turning up at Johnny Marr's uh, house <laughs> saying, do you want to start a band called The Smiths? And then finding two other random guys. And then gave me a gun and said, Hi, uh, my name is Finn Sound Nicholas. Your name is Yutha Shite. Shite and Sound sign, sounds like sight and sound. I think we should go on a, on a spree of uh, robberies. And yeah, we've been going into petrol stations and leaving with more gum than we paid for ever yeah. since. Um, but, but like in that situation, like if Finn is like an eight and he knocks on my door and I, I open it in, and I'm 18, I'm like, hello. And he's like, do you want to commit some crimes? And he hands me a gun <laughs> as he did that time. Like that is, that's creepy guys. Mm. I want you to think about that. Um, but well, you first, said, first of all, you'd say, Hey, where did that eight year old get a gun? Crazy stuff. Well, I, I was more concerned by the fact that uh, I asked for some ID and, and you, you, you gave me a letter from the bank, which many eight-year-olds have. Uh, and I was like, you, you live in Auckland. How did you get to Arrow Valley in Wellington? And uh, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I was going to go with you hijacking a plane, but, you know... <laughs> Well, like, a like, little from column A, a little from column B. I need yeah, to get no. to the airport first, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man, it would be difficult for an eight-year-old to get to the airport in Auckland. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult for any human to get to the airport in Auckland. Um, Just I catch mean, the I'm, sky bus, you fucking whiners. It takes you right there. But it's too expensive. And you can just, if you're willing for it to take twice the time and to be stressed because there are three or four connections, you can do it with a train, a bus, and a bus. Mm -hmm. Or you can just find someone who cares enough about you to have a car. Yeah. <laughs> That's the order those things go in. You know, when you really meet someone, when you're really good friends and you're like, 
I'm going to buy a car in case they need a lift to the airport. Simple stuff. Uh, but anyway, uh, Finn, before you mentioned uh, that you had watched some things, what, what, what had you watched? I actually watched uh, two movies. Ah, uh, yes, uh, and those are... It's a, it's a series of images and sounds that, that, that are projected oh, at a yeah. higher speed uh, to, 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 to give the illusion of movement. Oh, like uh, Homestuck. Uh, are you saying that these movies, you look at them and it's like they're really moving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost exactly like that. Wow, that's... That's... I, that's crazy. And I... Yeah. Should I... Should I check these films out? Should I? Sorry, I don't know what word I just said. Should I check these movies out? Uh, yeah, well, so the the the, the thing is, the, the two movies that I watched that I watched today are yeah. actually uh, uh, actually pretty relevant to to the uh, to, to, to to the, the two person crime spree we 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 are currently engaged in. Oh, they're just about platonic friendships, right? Yeah. Yeah, I watched, uh, uh, watched uh, Bonnie and Clyde and Something Wild. Sorry, just to break the bit for a second. Something Wild. Oh, what a film. Also, like, that film shouldn't be on the Criterion Collection. It is, it is, it is a disservice to that film to hold it up. Like, it should be dirt, you know? Like, uh, Something well, Wild. Well, like I think it is. <laughs> Well, no, and like this is uh, to preview again to not only break a bit, but the structure of the whole show. Like, I think a key <laughs> thing working against the honeymoon killers is that it has is, been is that it's so now a classic, yeah. Well, and also that it has been so. I watched the the latest because Criterion have remastered it twice because mm. they did it for the DVD and then they did yeah. the 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 two K scan, and it looks beautiful <laughs> like the grain in that image oh and it's just like no i should be watching this on a 10th generation vhs copy where it is smeared or, or, to all hell in, at like 12 o'clock at night and, you, and you're mean, like kind of tired and you've just seen a movie with actual movie stars in it and now you're watching yeah. whatever this is and it's making you feel bad so you so these movies relate uh they're about they relate to our Current crime spree. Yeah, watched a movie called Piero Le Fou, which means uh, Piero the Fool. Oh yeah, like the uh, 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 the the French clown character, mm. the sad clown, the Piero, yeah. like uh, then, the David uh, Bowie Ashes to Ashes album cover. Mm. I I um, haven't seen the music video. I don't know what the word <laughs> video means. And of course, the second film I watched was Leonard Castle's The Honeymoon Killers. A movie about uh, about the people uh, killing people on a honeymoon, sort of. Ah, uh, do you think there's a lot in, in there to learn for us? Remembering that we we most of our crimes involve you know going into a service station, picking up two packs of juicy fruit, putting one on the the table, on the table the counter. Uh, and and were like secreting the other in your hand, and so they're like, "That's a dollar twenty or however ridiculously much gum is now." 
and and they were like, can we have one stick of gum? And they're like, we know you have another in your hand. And then we pull out our guns and say, this is a robbery. <laughs> and, and, they, <laughs> and they say, why have you instantly started crying? And we say, because this is very stressful. <laughs> this is not a situation either of us want to be in. <laughs> <laughs> we d- we don't want your gum. We want the service station's gum. Your <laughs> gum is insured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. you, your, your gum's insured by the federal government. <laughs> the federal government. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, a podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that made it similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 46 on the Sight and Sound list, Hero the Fool. Jean-Luc Godard's kaleidoscopic Bonnie and Clyde riff set against a backdrop of 1960s radicalism. Our second film this week is The Honeymoon Killers, a film about the excitement of meeting new people. We just had a break in recording so that I could go and, and watch my first two films ever. Yeah. It was pretty, I really think these things are going to take off. Mm. Would you be surprised to know that this has actually been the most dominant art form of the last uh, century or so? I mean, I, I did, I was, while I was watching um, Pierre LeFou, my first ever film, the first, so a film I find very conventional. Because it's it's the yeah. baseline for what cinema is like. Yeah. Um. I thought, yeah, and so I googled it, uh, and I learned about a thing called video games, which I think refutes your point. <laughs> <laughs> um. But no, I, I, yeah, no, it is, it is. I don't know how I missed it. Um. But I, I want to talk about so this first one, by by John by, John Picard. By Jean-Luc Godard. Picard, yeah, from Star Trek. So what is, so this is our second Godard film, though it, it is, is also the first, the only film I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, the one, the one of two. Both, both, both of those um, things are true at the same time. Yeah, yeah, no, we, uh, we exist. I mean, fake news if anyone disagrees with us. Um, I, uh, uh, yeah, our second, but our first was History de Cinema, yeah. which uh, did not really give us much space for talking about the man himself, because as much as it is emblematic of his work, it's not really like... Godard is interesting because what everyone assumes would be the last fluttering few years of his life, late period Godard has now kind of actually made up the bulk of it. Yes. You know, from the mid-70s on. Whereas, like, what we typify as a Godard film, which is, like, Pierre Le Fou, 
uh, band of outsiders, breathless, contempt is is now the minority. Yeah, the, um, it's it's the first like seven or eight years of his career. Yeah, yeah, a, a career that has uh, now gone on for sixty years. So yeah, we've talked about Goddard the man in a way yeah. uh, through history's descent, but as we've been talking about, we haven't talked about like Goddard films when Alphaville, Breathless, that kind of, mm. you know, uh, people with short hair in bright cl- bright or grey clothes um, being not caring about anything in, in yeah. France. Running around while some kind of jazzy music plays and oh, yeah. everyone's, everyone's uh, gorgeous and having a great time. And uh, it's not like you'd expect it to be. Um, which is very true of me because we have to remember when I first saw this, it was my first experience of cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, what is your take? Like, do you have a general, like, how do you feel about these films about like what, what we'll call Goddard films, you know? So of of the Goddard I've seen, which is like still, still not a huge amount. uh, I, I, I think, this this era is the part of his work that does the least for me. I think just because this is the most influential part of his work, and I've seen it, uh, I've seen it copied so many times. Mm. From this era, I've seen Contempt, I've seen Pierre Le Fou, I've seen Alphaville a couple times, and yeah, I there are always moments in these movies that I that I really love. There are aesthetic choices that I think are incredible, but they never do a whole lot for me either intellectually or or emotionally. Was this his last film before May 1968? Next was Masculine Feminine. I just don't know. Oh, right. This was 65. Okay. So, no, he, 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 yeah. yeah, So, after this was Masculine Feminine, Made in the USA, two or three things I know Mm. about her, La Chinoise, and then Weekend, and then then it gets to 68. Yeah. And then all of that stuff happens. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, check out, is it the Chris Marker episode? It is the Mother and the Horror episode. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Yep. Yeah. What a, that's certainly a film. Um, mm. Where they look and in the so, camera, though. Ding. Yeah. And so I think, as I said in our episode on, on, on Histories to Cinema, the era of Godard that is most interesting to me is the, like, late 60s into early 70s stuff, when he is much less interested in narrative and, like, young people having fun antics and he is really like drilling down into what it means to try and invent a Marxist cinema and mm. that stuff all rules. Even the parts of it that are incredibly boring and amateurish. Uh, I'm like mm. I'm, I'm so I'm so involved in the like journey that his filmmaking is going on in, in, in that era. That, that I'll that I'll like that, that I'll really enjoy would be like bad parts of it as well. Yeah. Um, when did you first, like, of, of, of what we, of early Goddard, of hip Goddard, um, when did you first see one? How old were you? Uh, I would have been 18. It would have been when I was at AUT for a semester and I took a course on science fiction film. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. As well as Alphaville, as well as Fastbinder for the first time. Mm. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of, uh, a bunch of good stuff in that class uh, before, before I got uh, kicked out of that university. Why'd you get kicked out of that university? Uh, I did not pay my fees. Why, so, didn't uh, you, why, why didn't you pay your fees? 
uh, I, I forgot to set up a study link thing. And so uh, after about half a semester, uh, I, I, I got a letter saying that I was no longer enrolled at, uh, at, at, uh, at, at AUT. I, I was so sure you were going to say I w- you were no longer welcome. Like it was, <laughs> well, <laughs> it was I think that was the subject of a letter. I mean, what? They're not going to walk the halls of, of lectures. They put my photo up on, ev- on every corner. <laughs> yeah. Wanted <laughs> for, for thought theft. Um, Finn, have you considered that the reason you don't like these early Goddard films is because they are about young people having fun and you hate all three of those things? Uh, I, yeah, that's, that's part of it. Like the like the Truffaut stuff that I've seen as well. The one that I like the least is, is Jules and Jim. Yep. They're, 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 <laughs> that's a movie where I have the same feeling as it was like something wild. We're like, this movie is very well made. It's very well acted. It's doing lots of good stuff. Also, I hate these fucking people. And uh, they, 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 they could just solve all the problems by being normal. Just stop. Just, just fucking stop it. And, and as much as I... I do kind of understand that feeling uh, yeah. and I'm very aware that it, no, I, I do understand that feeling there, mm. there a thing I really resist in theater a lot is, is what I call uh, like white people shit. I invented <laughs> yeah. the phrase, uh, but like, no, no, but like very specifically it is like uh, a white people just like wasting time. You know, mm, just just yeah. kind of be like, oh, we're being weird. Oh, we're so crazy. We're exploring a sense of play. And I can absolutely understand how you could look at these films, of which I do not think Pierre LeFou is the best example, mm. or even really a good, like, one day on this list we'll get to a film by Jean, uh, Jean-Luc Godard, sorry, Jean-Luc Picard, where I won't say... this film is only on this list because of his name Uh, uh, and and it will be contempt, um, which is the next one. Right. Anyway, so look forward to that. I, yeah, I do not, I do not. um, I, but yeah, no, I understand the feeling where you're just like, Oh, come on. Uh, Mm. No, you just, uh, right. It's like a cinema craftsman and and it's like a rule breaker. I really, really love what Goddard is doing. So like, so, so, so much of the time. Yes, he he is incredible at at juxtaposing images. There is no one who can use a jump cut like he can. I think there is there is tons of great stuff in his work. In that like big collection of uh, quotes of all smells are shitting on other filmmakers. Mm. Uh, There is one about Godard, which I don't fully agree with, but I I, I think is uh, like almost how I feel about Godard. The quote from All Smells about Jean Luc Godard is. I think his gifts as a director are enormous. I just can't take him very seriously as a thinker. And that's where we seem to differ because he does. And I can't like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in that. Like I can't, I feel that without agreeing with it or like yeah, really yeah. seeing it as a diss, you yeah. know? Um, but like, here is, here is the thing. Like the, the reason I asked how old you were when you saw it, it's because like I first saw, I think it was either, Band Apart is that I saw, yeah, it was one of those two, which I think are the best. Mm. Um, I, I think probably Breathless of this era 
um, is his masterpiece, and I do think right. it's a, it is a masterpiece um, because he's doing the first thing for the first time. It's the <clears> first <throat> crash of the new wave, even though Truffaut and many anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, Hiroshima Monomore had already come out. I know, I know. Um, and I saw that at like eleven, twelve, thirteen, and like we right, talked yeah. about like the the cringe of Davis Orini. Uh, and then in a deleted bit about the cringe of a of an of of an American journalist who we won't name because it's not in the episode and they do very good work. Um, and it's just I've just been really sticking in my brain because watching Pierre Lefou, so much of my feeling was like, yeah, this is like, uh, yeah, cool. You got Sam. F- you got to hang out with Sam Fuller, and, yeah. and so uh, and then. So he uh, and you, yeah, you wrote a bit so you could have meet Sam Fuller and have him explain what films. It's like it's kind of prickish, but like I was compelled by but, but like, it. But like he, he had also already done that bit in, in, in Content, where, 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 where he has Fritz Lang playing Fritz Lang. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. But like I was still compelled by it. Like it yeah, held yeah. something over me. Uh, and that is because. Like yeah, the the journalist we were talking about is, is real cringe because they were twelve when Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas came out, and they they are definitely the kind of person who saw it too young, and it got them rock hard, and now they that is what they think cool is yeah, and and because I saw these early Goddards in that time, like yeah, the dancing scene in Band of Outsiders is archetypical cool to me. Mm. It is Im- it is embedded in my DNA. And I think a lot of the endurance of these films uh, comes from the fact that they are they are entry level film bullshit. You are mo- if you're gonna like I should see French films, it is highly likely, you know, that that yeah. a film from this selection is will be your first at least Nouvelle Vague film. And it will hit people in the same way. And so, yeah, it is kind of like a disconnect uh, uh, where I am going to be like, we are about to describe the plot of Pierre Le Feu, uh, and I think express that it was kind of boring and nothing. But the subtext I want is that the whole time I was like, yeah, but it's so cool. It just <laughs> looks so good. Oh, yeah, it, no, looks it, so looks, hot, it looks fantastic. Know. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh man, we we haven't talked about the most important thing. The one sign you know you're in for a good viewing experience is if a film starts with three or four slides worth of detailed restoration information. I want to know the source of every element. I'm glad they talked about how they restored the original Eastman color color toning and that it was shot on two perf. That's what I like. Two Perf is highly underrated. Um, I don't like because you get the wide, but you get the grain. Oh, it's the best of both worlds. Like um, uh, uh, Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana. Um, so what I'm saying, Finn, uh, is that I don't know how to really talk about this film because it is like an animal part of me. That that magnetizes to it, even though I kind of. So, there's this guy. His name is not Piero. Piero. Uh, no, Piero Ferdinand. 
It's Ferdinand. Uh, oh, he's uh, actually. Uh, uh, we should start off by talking about the opening credits because the opening credits rule. Where, where it, it's uh, uh, Jean Paul Belmondo and Anna Karina in Jean Luc Godard's film Pierre of a Fool, and that whole uh, opening credit, that whole card, uh, just starts completely black. And then all the letters fill in in red in alphabetical order. So first Except of all, the A's for the title, up. which is blue. Yeah, yeah. so all, all the A's come up, then all the B's and the C's, and they're like, yeah, it, it, fill, it fills in like it, it fills in like a weird, like a wheel of fortune uh, clue. Uh, uh, great, great credit sequence. Uh, like it a lot. Nah, I wasn't a huge fan, if I'm honest. Really? I just don't know what it like. We are so spoiled by by credit, by credit, mm. uh, um, that it really sits with like the joy of Soul Bass, right? To mm. to go for the fucking the the uh, the lowest hanging fruit is like the 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 and part of the joy of Psycho or Vertigo's opening titles isn't just that they look incredible, even though. You know, empirically they do. Like, yeah. I'm not. But it's also that they speak to an inherent, they speak to the film. The film mm. is less without them. Whereas this, I don't, what does their names appearing in an alphabetical, the letters appearing in an alphabetical order mean? It just feels like showing off, you know? Well, I, I'm, I'm sure if I spent like 20 minutes trying to trying to figure out an argument for it, I, I, could, I could do it, but... Oh no! I just like because the way they uh, uh, there's a lot of neon signs later, and I love mm. neon signs. I was like, "Give me Pierre Lefou written on uh, uh, a neon sign," you know. But mm. so Ferdinand, he's married. He's got kids. He's reading the kids' Balzac. His wife's yeah. like, "Stop reading the kids' Balzac!" <laughs> like uh, the common. Uh, it's a refrain heard in every household in the world, you know? I don't, yeah, I don't need this, to... This, 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 this isn't like the 400 blows where children love Balzac. Then he goes to a party. Samuel Fuller is there. Yeah, Everyone if, if, is if, incredibly if, disaffected. Yeah, if, if every, sh- every shot in this party is like a static wide shot of people standing against a wall and one block of colour being blasted onto them. It's either like red or green. And uh, yeah. uh, the, the, the thing I've seen is that every single person is speaking uh, only in advertising slogans, except for Jean-Paul Belmondo. Well, like, yep, get it. We get it. Cool, dude. Mm. I mean, but, but, but this scene was my, was like kind of by far my favorite scene of the movie. I was like, oh, the I, last I, scene, man. The, the last scene. Oh, okay. No, that last scene's also very good. Yeah. Uh, no, I love Goddard when he is like at his bluntest. And he's like combining the fact that he is a fantastic composer of images yeah. with, with just like making his point as obviously as possible is when I really kind of click with his stuff. And, and so, yeah, just everyone being like blasted in these like bright primary, like single colors at a time while yeah. standing against a wall and talking only in and just repeating advertising slogans as though they are conversation while this like handsome bored looking guy is just going around trying to engage with them in conversation but they cannot speak the same language as him because he yeah. because he he's a man of words and feelings and they're, 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 they're just you know they're, they're, they're just like slaves to capitalism like yes 
but there's blunt and then there's like editorial cartoon. And, yeah. and I think often the difference for me, the reason I just don't buy this is that this is very much the kind of feelings that people who aren't special have and think make them special. Like it's, sure. it's borderline the, uh, the, per, the meme of the person in the corner at the party. They don't know I'm dot, dot, dot. And, and, and that he does such better jobs elsewhere in his work at like breathless being about like the nihilism that brings and how that can really hurt people. And I mean, not that this film isn't about that, but this anyway, um, yeah, I just, I'm like, cool, dude, I get, yeah, yeah. Like, good one. Um, uh, and then he bumps into an old flame. Hmm. Oh, who play, who remind me of the actors, remind me of both of the actors names. The actors are Jean-Paul Belmondo and Anna Karina. Two of the like icons of the French New Wave, who both worked extensively with Godard, and both of them died uh, fairly recently. Uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo died uh, last week, and, mm. and Anna Karina died oh, at the end of rip. 2019. And both people very much made by Godard. Breathless was Belmondo's uh, breakout, mm. and, uh, and Karina was in... Band apart. She was in Alphaville. She was in Band apart. Yeah. She was in A Woman Is a Woman. Uh, she was in Beverly of V. She was in Cleo from yeah. Five to Seven. She was in one of the earlier Fastbinder movies. They're very much new wave stock players. Yeah, you know, this is the second film we've watched for this podcast that had uh, Jean Paul Be- Jean Paul Belmondo in it. Uh, what, yeah. what, what, what was the first one? Blood Rain Deliverance. Uh, no, it was Casino Royale. Oh, he, God, he, that's he, right he, now. he has like a bit part in, in, mm. in Casino Royale. God, how the mighty have fallen. Yeah. And yeah, no, they, they, like, there are many faces of the new wave, but these are, these are two of the big ones. There is yeah. something very iconic about them together mm. in a way that this whole film... Uh, kind of very much does this film, you know, you're five, six, seven years in 1965 into the Nouvelle Vague. So it kind of is beginning to feel like kind of self-parody um, in in a way that, again, I think is uh, incredibly cool. Um, but so uh, he he meets, how does he bump into this old flame? I can't uh, remember. So, so, uh, with her. so uh, she, she, is, uh, she is dating... A friend of his called Frank, who's the guy he goes oh, to the party with. Uh, she she yeah. she stays at uh, she she stays at I think Frank's place while they go to the party. He gets bored and leaves the party, takes Frank's car, and then uh, go, go, goes goes back to Frank's place uh, where 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 she is still waiting. Uh, she's uh, fallen asleep, missed the last train home, so he offers to drive her home. And on the drive home. Uh, uh, they, 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 they talk and we realize that uh, they, they had actually uh, dated about five years earlier. Yeah. And uh, the, 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 this whole scene in, in, in the car is, uh, is, is, another, is, another one of those, is, is another one of those Goddard images that I, that I really love. 
where the camera is on the like front bonnet of the car, looking through the windscreen, and the car is clearly just in a room surrounded by black curtains, and yeah. and and they're just like flashing like lights over the windscreen, but but are reflecting yeah. into the camera, and it's a five minute long scene, just them talking, and all these lights being like waved over the over yeah. the windshield. Yeah, and it it, it looks great. It mm. looks great even now. It is it is it's so cool. Um, but it uh, it is. Like there is a sense, and it is, it is this scene, I think, more than any other, by kind of sitting, by stylizing so hard the kind of the awkwardness and the liltingness of the conversation. They keep, they never really say anything. Mm. No, they say heaps, but they, they keep, uh, uh, a lot of things are left unsaid. Yeah, and the conversations are always elliptical. They're always like talking in circles around the points they actually want to make. They're, they're like re- repeating the same ideas or phrases over and over again. And it really it feels like the best encapsulation within the film of kind of the default new n- Nouvelle Vague trick, which is. You take real people, quote unquote, in real situations, uh, uh, but you shoot them like a film, you know, mm. like what if, what if we no longer just looked at elites? What if we just looked at people? Mm. Uh, and and it, it's a great trick enough to build uh, a whole movement of cinema on <laughs> uh, and, you know, it never, it never gets old. Is it in the car that she first calls him Piero? Uh, I yes, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, because obviously uh, it's the title of the film. Hmm. Um, and Piero Lefou, Piero Lefou is of course um, uh, part of the Commedia dell'arte, which is a, a highly storied uh, and old uh, Italian. But kind of, at the, uh, but it's been adopted by a lot of uh, Europe, mm. well, white Europe. Uh, uh, so it, it's a very known thing in France. And yeah, and Piero is is a very classic image of a sad clown. Like yeah. you know the iconography very well, and so it's like this film is called Eeyore. Yeah, or Agliacci goes to the doctor. Um, I mean, that would be. That must already be taken. Probably, no, probably. I mean, that was probably the secret code name they recorded Joker under, right? <laughs> um, and uh, like all the audition like sides were, or something. It was a good, good joke and Star Wars mm. reference. Mm. But yeah, not all the sides <laughs> or uh, uh, for actors auditioning to be the Joker. Um, uh, Red P- Pagliacci, you know, the way that audition sides for the Pokemon film said that they were um, pooches. Uh, and so, like, there, there, there are tapes out there with all the hot actors, you know, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose, his, his elder brother. Um, I'm sure Nicholas Holt took a tilt at it. Maybe there's an Army Hammer tape out there, uh, the most incriminating footage of him that I presume exists. Uh, and yeah, and I, I think uh, just trying to remember names of actors right now. Miriam Margulies. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, she, 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 she had a great take. There are all these tapes out there, auditions, 
where they're, when they're playing out that final scene with De Niro. And I just don't, I just hope one day, you know, Todd leaks the tape so we can see Harrison Ford, Harris' daughter Ford, his wife, um, <laughs> Meryl Streep, Amy Adams, um, Tom Hardy, all in their best Joker makeup. They're Rene all self-tapes. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it's possibly the last acting he ever did. Yeah. Um, at all screaming, but Dr. I am Pugliacci. <laughs> Bang, before, bang, bang. Before shooting Robert De Niro in the head. Um, I, that is, I have found a way, one simple change that you could make to Joker now that would make me entirely turn around on him. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but, Doctor, I am, oh, God. If Joaquin um, Phoenix had done the Pagliacci thing... Yeah. Before shooting De Niro, that would have been, that would have been my favourite movie of that year. <laughs> or like any, like, like <laughs> is the, uh, are they allowed to just stop making films now or like? Um, like oh, I, I see why this one with Golden Lion now. <laughs> oh, fuck, that's right. Yeah. How? Oof. I think the answer to that is that people who whose lives are lit like the people on those juries are people who've been 24 7 filmed for decades and decades of their lives which is an enviable position to be in mm. but does somewhat insulate you from reality so i could understand so the last six golden line winners uh the woman who left by love diaz which is oh, yeah. uh no, it's, it's one of the shorter films it's less than five hours in 2017, The Shape of Water, 2018, Roma, 2019, Joker, then 2020, Nomadland. I mean, uh, then, then the, the one from this year is called Happening uh, by a French woman called Audrey, uh, a French woman called Audrey Dewan, which is uh, supposed to be good. Is that the woman who made Raw? Uh, no, no, she, she's, she's the one who won the Palme d'Or. Yeah, that's what, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I got that, that all mixed up in my head. It's gonna fucking rip. We don't I'm know so that. I'm so excited for Titan. We oh, don't man. know that, though. We don't know that. I, um, I know it. Yeah, but prejudging, you know? Hmm. Anyway, so yeah, she's calling him Eeyore and he hates it. Uh, he, he never enjoys it, he never reclaims it, but that's the title. The title is. The sad clown. And it is interesting. I don't know. How sincere do you think this film is in that name in calling him a sad clown? I'd say like with most Goddard, uh, not particularly sincere. But like, it's not zero percent. No, it is more on the joke side than on the this guy's a genuine wounded soul who kind of can't catch a break side. Yeah, I don't know. I feel this film, because, yeah, Goddard, despite all of his uh, uh, bodacious and flagrant um, uh, refusal to follow uh, the rules of film, Mm -hmm. has never made a film that is entirely unsympathetic to its protagonist. Um, Though I'm sure you could make that reading of Histories du Cinema with film as the protagonist. 
Uh, I'm not going to keep going on about that damn film. My problem with this film, and it is to repeat our Bean conversation in a way, is that I think this film likes this guy more than it should. And it doesn't love him. But I, I'm over him very quickly. He looks great. He's yeah. so cool. He's hanging out with Anna Karina, who's on the run. She's being chased by... It's, it's sort of hard to figure out exactly who is after her. Because... It's, yeah, it seems like it might be like French people at the beginning, but then later on, it's like it's like Russians or Arabs, and yeah. then like yeah, it, it's uh, hey, this this Jean Luc Godard movie, uh, its narrative is kind of confusing. Oh, crazy! Who who, um, who would have thunk it? Anyway, he drops her off at her place and follows her in to find a dead body. Yeah, she's on the run, so they run oh, away no, so together. The, 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 he finds a dead body the next morning. He goes back to her place for two hours, sleep together that night. Oh, yes. And he wakes yeah, up yeah. at her place the next morning and sees a dead body and sees that her house is full of guns. Oh, yeah. I just thought that was in the opposite order, but mm. mainly because, I mean, I literally watched this film about five hours ago, so I have no <clears> excuse. It's just that I have such strong erotic connection between discovering buildings are full of dr- guns and, and, and you know, then, like, if I ever did that, you know, something's going to happen, whether alone or in a team, you know? Don't... I'm not, I'm not sure I do know. Do, don't come a-knockin', because this house full of guns is, is a rocket. Do you not... Do you not see an inherent erotic power in ammunition and guns? Uh, Can't say that I do. But they're so powerful and dangerous. And they wear no clothes. Yeah. Just just like... uh... (laughs) What else is powerful and dangerous? Doesn't mean clothes. Uh, uh, ju- just, uh, just like a lion. Oh, so you prefer like deadly things that are also cats? I mean, which I, explains I'm, why I, you like cats. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm saying I, I find guns and lions about equally erotic, which is to say, not particularly. Okay, so what is the deadliest thing you find erotic? He's <laughs> squinting. He's thinking the eyebrows are up. He's he's going. Honestly, honestly no idea. Not uh, even do, a joke do not answer. answer for this. No, not not do, even a joke answer. Okay, because I I was like, I'm gonna create this environment where I, I I can only fuck when I've been around guns. Ben can be like, I'm more of a machete man myself, and I no, can be no, like, that's, that, that's Danny Trejo. You're thinking of. <laughs> And then I was going to be like, well, a key moment in my, me realizing my bisexuality was when I was first attracted to Bowie Knife. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Had that all lined up. Yep. But we're, 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 but we're, never, gonna, we're, never, we're never gonna get to hear that joke now. Did you go and slut shame lions? <laughs> yeah, it does sound like something I'd do. <laughs> 
How would you? Okay, so you're already at the zoo. You're at the lion exhibit. <laughs> you just yelling at them? Yeah. Put it away. Put some clothes on your horse. <laughs> and look, you, you know what, Yuva? If, if, if the zoo, uh, by chance, uh, bans me from hollering at the animals, <laughs> I will face God and walk backwards into hell. <laughs> Thank you, Jarrell. <laughs> Anyway, she is on the run, body, guns. So yeah. very quickly, they're like, let's skedaddle. Yeah, they, uh, 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 her, her, her boyfriend, uh, Frank, uh, uh, who is friends with, uh, who, who's, who's friends with, with, with Ferdinand comes in for some reason and they, uh, they smash a wine bottle over his head, maybe yeah. killing him and then, and then, they, and then they escape. They take a couple of guns, they get in a car, and they drive off through Paris. Yeah. And then and there's about an hour and uh, uh, 30 minutes of increasingly abstract hijinks. Mm. But first, we get the first cut to what seems to be interview footage with, with members of the public, uh, uh, where they're kind of just talking about themselves. One is a, is a refugee... One's just a student, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. The, the one who's a refugee yeah, yeah, gives gives his name as Laszlo Kovacs, who is a real guy who I can never remember what he did, but is also uh, a ca- but who was also paid tribute in a previous. I think it's Breathless, where he where the pseudonym he uses is Laszlo Kovacs. I think Laszlo oh, right, Kovacs yeah. was like an in joke. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Le- 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 Leslo Kovacs uh, uh, was uh, uh, was a Hungarian cinematographer yeah. who uh, who was like one of the defining guys of the American new cinema. That's he, it, yeah. he, he 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 worked with Bogdanovich on Targets, What's Up Doc, Paper Moon. He shot Easy Rider. Uh, he Is shot some Holman movies. Is that uh, him? No. Okay. No, it, it's a, it's a it's a different guy. Yeah. But um, he shot New York, New York for Scorsese. Oh yeah, he's, he's, yeah. He's like we a have big, no a other guy. reason to talk about today. <laughs> That's the last you'll be hearing about Scorsese this week. So for my Marty heads, who now? It looks great. It begins to touch more and more on the horrors of war, the war that was then only beginning in Vietnam, uh, including like doing recreations of it with toys on the beach but also like seemingly sincere right recountings of it from people who may or may not it it, it moves very much away from plot and towards theme and idea uh not for the first or last time in in uh, Jean-Luc Picard's career and it is, it all looks so great. Mm. And none of it is, oh, I mean, there, there's some couple, a couple of moments of horrific yellow face, which are not great. Yeah, uh, well, there is a scene where they're on the run and they're out of money. And so they decide to put on a play for some American tourists. Yeah. And this play is like, the two of them recreating the Vietnam War. Yeah. Which involves in one part, Anna Karina in... In yellow face, wearing wearing one of one of those like rice rice paddy hats, yep. and 
and and like mumbling in Asian gibberish language. Yeah, and uh, you know, you know the, the you know the syllables she's saying. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I, I was kind kind of confused by what exactly the point of that there was. <laughs> like it, it, uh, it, it kind of seems like what Goddard is doing yeah. there is racist. Like, well, sure. But I, I think it is like they're trying to make money and their audience is a group of American tourists. And so I cannot tell if the thing of like doing a big racism is like a specific point of critique of the Americans. And like yeah. these characters know that the like best way to get money from the Americans is to be racist about the Vietnamese. I, I, I can't tell if that's the, the point that Goddard's making or if, or, or if he just thought it would be funny. I think not, not the answer totally is sure. possibly both, you know? Not possibly, yeah. Um, I, I want to believe it's mainly the first one. It, mm, but it is also like, I, I would be more welcoming to that interpretation if anywhere else in the film there was an awareness. You know, it's not revolutionary to look at the Nouveau Vague and say it's pretty blanc. Yeah. Um, which is not, and, and like, I think a, a real problem in film is the fact that, that this, which is a primary generator, I think of, as I've spoken through my own experience, generative what cool in art film is mm. is so resolutely Caucasian and that and that it does end up being like this or um people of color doing things like this yeah um uh, it's a real problem um so eventually uh, one of the the people chasing uh, uh, um, chasing them, who is a little person, mm. uh, kidnapped uh, Marianne. Yeah. Oh, who? I, I just saw this. Uh, Anna, Karina, and Goddard were married while they they were mm. making this. They divorced soon after. So she uh, kills the little person with yeah. some scissors. Yeah, just stabs him in the neck. There's a lot of great scenes in this, which is um, Pierre Ferdinand walking in <laughs> to a room and there being like a French actor dead on the ground. With air, and like the aesthetic of this film is like hyper pop. The colors are so mm. bright, it's like ultra technicolor. And so it is these men in like pastel blue suits and horrifically brown ties with, like, blood that's basically orange around them. It looks like... Yeah. Um, they look like mannequins, and it, it is just... It's, like, it's such a strong and strange choice. I, like, I cannot help but respect it. Hmm. Um, but uh, when he comes across the body, uh, two of the... Uh, he, he is kidnapped, and they waterboard him. Good we've yeah. done away with that. To reveal where Marianne is, he doesn't give up the name. Uh, she, uh, you know, 
They look for. They're separated. They look for yeah, each other. Yeah, we've we've skipped about an hour and fifteen minutes of a movie at this point. But like the only key thing in there is that she introduces him to her brother Fred. Well, also there's like the entire section where they're on the run and they're doing various crimes and faking their own deaths and then there's oh, yeah, a scene where they're like they living by the car. seaside for yeah, a while. Yeah. yeah. They tell stories and right into camera, but it yeah. isn't. It is just. There's one bit where they're driving down the road, and Ferdinand is like making some sort of like witticism, and he turns and looks directly into the camera and then mm-hmm. says it. And then, uh, and then Marianne looks back and says, Who are you talking to? And he says, uh, The audience. And you're like, Oh, is, uh, has, has God, I've been watching Fleabag. This is, uh, look. Yeah. Uh, that was that joke. No, you're right, Fim. Fleabag was the first television yeah. series ever with no. a with someone who narrates to the camera. No one had done it before. Well, and that's no, why it's the most important and groundbreaking uh, piece of media for the last decade. No, Finn, uh, um, I hate to correct you like this, but shut your idiot mouth. <laughs> you pants on head. Shit for brain. Um, right, more, more. <laughs> oh, is this what you find erotic? Is this the most... Are <laughs> words the weapon you find most erotic? Oh, no. <laughs> um, no, Flea, Fleabag wasn't the first to have a direct audience narrator. There's actually a lot of films uh, that, you know, where people narrate to the camera. But surprisingly, it was the first ever to have a thought to think that another character could be like, who are you talking to? Even though that's yeah. an entry-level joke <laughs> that that hypothetically is in literally every occurrence of that trope, and like the, the heightened use of that, as Fleabag does in its second season, to show that like how you build a relationship between two characters, like what does another person have a, has a different relationship to the camera? Yeah, it was definitely the first show to do that and not like at best a tepid reproduction of one of the hoariest tropes of all time. One that had only recently genuinely been truly innovated on by Mr. Robot. But anyway, check it out. This only works if you let go too. <sighs> um, anyway, yeah, there, it is just, yeah, within this, the, the, yeah, this middle hour uh, of, of them pranking about, doing crimes, cutting into kind of semi-documentary footage, um, it is, yeah, no, it's like, it is, it is the part of the film that has aged the worst. Because it is, it feels like sketches, and a lot of it, like yeah. obviously, like the Vietnam bit is this writ really large. But you are like, I feel like in 1965, in 66, it would have been like this is right on the fucking button, you know? Hmm. Yeah, this so is basically like, a newspaper. But yeah, like, the, the, since the, we like, have distance, it's like, oh yeah, cool, cool. This is yeah. cool. But whatever. Uh, part of the reason this all feels like sketches is because every scene was written either the day of or the day before it was shot. Mm. And l- large portions of, of the scenes 
especially in the like last third of the film, were improvised almost entirely by Belmondo and Karina. And so it's just been like running around in a forest and like singing a song and like and mm. shit like that. But that is how allegedly, like every time I hear the stories about, oh, they basically improvised this film, mm. that they were writing scenes beforehand. I'm like, I like, I don't a hundred percent. Anyway, uh, mm. uh, I, I feel like they are uh, exaggerating for the story's sake and, who doesn't love doing that? Um, but yeah, Goddard has always made films in an improvisorial way. I just presume yeah. you, all, you would start... Like, this film obviously starts with a structure. Like Breathless, which was his first feature, like, he wrote each scene on the day, but, like, the story's shape was very set because they even re- did it in reverse order. Like, that's how Hong Sun Su works. Right. Um, yeah. So I think it was a, a lot more uh, along those lines. But yeah, no, there is a sense of like each scene has somewhere they have to get to, but how they get there doesn't really matter. And that, that yeah. which is part of the energy of Goddard, which comes across in like, I can't remember what film it was on, but like there's the story that is like, um, our filming days could be 15 minutes long or 12 hours long. Um, it would just be as long as Goddard still had ideas. And if he didn't, he'd just be like, eh, fuck it and leave, you know? <laughs> eh, why? I don't got any ideas. Yeah. Which is like a wonderfully creative way to work. Um, but also makes me very angry all the people who don't have the privilege of being white middle class or upper class cis men who have to write a thousand scripts even back in those days to have a tilt at making one film and if that film does badly they never work again whereas Goddard (laughs) is like oh I don't know just Bring me the two biggest movie stars in the country. It's called Pierre LeFou. I need some dynamite for the <laughs> end. Um, and like it is that energy, like that the the kind of slight dickishness of that, if you know what I mean, mm. that I do that I see as the problem, but also is like something I'm genuinely very attracted to. Like that is like an idea I find that is kind of a very cool idea to me. The idea that, that these films feel important despite being made by people acting like they didn't really care. And I, and I can, and like that makes so much more sense when you're making these films as a response to uh, you know, 50 years of French cinema, which was uh, essentially paintings or theatre. And some of the best ever, you know? I'm not, like, mm. that's not a diss. But, like, watching it now when, you know, like, fuck, name the last film that didn't emphasise an improvised line or, you know, fan submitted character. Uh, the Artist. No, the Jean-Paul Jardin uh, is actually a Hatsune Miku-style <laughs> open-source creation. No, no, he, he's our second actor who is canonically a Hatsune Miku. 
That's right. The first one was Eddie Marson. Marson. Yeah, no, we both. <laughs> I forgot that Eddie <laughs> Marson is a Hatsune Miku. <laughs> Whoa. And that comes to uh, episode number six, I think, we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we did this. Hey, God. Um. But it, but like that's the push and the pull of this whole film, right? Um, uh, is is Goddard's films are about apathetic people and whether they are right or wrong, and the answer yeah. is always both because the world sucks. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ferdinand and, and, and uh, I think that, that that's kind of what the thing that draws me to his like late sixties, early seventies stuff is the fact that Godard feels like he has a real purpose in those. Yeah, he is driving towards something like very, very specifically, and so his films kind of can't have that feeling of like, oh, who who knows why bother? Like, I can't do that yeah. anymore because he because he feels very strongly about uh, about like uh, about the yeah. world now. Well, and he now, like, the Nouvelle Vague are the same people, literally, before they were directors, they were critics, they're the people who invented the auteur theory, and then they made films, essentially, to be like, no, make films like this. Like, you know, more complicated than that, I presume they don't, Mm. but, but the Nouvelle Vague, as cool and influential, and like 400 Blows and Jules Asian... And Hiroshima Mon- Monomore and Breathless, like I, I believe all time classics. I'm not diminishing it, but it is a formal exercise at the end of the day. Uh, the reason Varda is probably the one true genius is that it was never a formal exercise mm. to her. She yeah. was always about people. Um, and and then he started caring about shit and making films about something that isn't film, you know? Yeah. It is, it is the, 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 the problem. The reason every comedian gets bad once they have a late night show, um, is that they no longer have a life to live because every day they're making a show. I mean, it's, it's, it's that, but it's also being like, like once you have a late night show, you 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 are like more you are like more entrenched in the in the power structures. Oh yeah, yeah, we're, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, no, being yeah, entrenched yeah, it's, in the it's, power it's structure and, and not having a life to care about, yeah. I think are, are intrinsic intrinsically connected acts. Sure, yeah, distinct, but they 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 move in lockstep. I don't disagree yeah. with you. Um. But so this idea of the film is a formal exercise and like everything that, that, that is so bracing about the Nouvelle Vague, the, you know, blah, the jump cuts, the semi-documentary style, but like, you know, handheld long lenses is so cool. Yeah. But it's a show and you kind of like the reason 400 blows whip is because you can tell he fucking feels that film. That yeah, is about it, it, something he cares about. It, it is not like entirely about him, but it is. It is about a part of him that, yeah. that, that, that yeah, that he, that is, that he is really connected to. And yeah, there is like 
such a strong emotional core to the 400 blows, which, yeah, I, I just don't feel it in, in, in this era of Goddard's films. Uh, yeah. And the thing. And like not, 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 not all films need to have a like strong emotional core. There are films that I love which don't have that at all. But, but, it, but yeah. they do have to have a strong core that's not, what if we made a film this way? You know? Yeah. Like, the boss of it all is maybe my favourite Lars von Trier film. Um, not because he made it with that camera that was pointed randomly by a computer, but by the ch- story he chose to tell with that. And the fact that he made a comedy and it was funny, and it was like, I think Lars von Trier should just make comedies and never speak in public. Um, just not express his thoughts. Um, my, my favorite last Montreal uh, film is Antichrist because the only other one I've seen is Nymphomaniac. Uh, so earlier he introduced, she introduced him to to a to a man named Fred and said, "This is my brother." Yeah, and, he, and he, he is he, not he, her he's, brother. He's a gun runner. He's the reason that her house was full of guns in the beginning. So, uh, yeah, no, she's yeah, she's his boyfriend, his real boyfriend. She's been leading him along and and, uh, takes everything of value from him and leaves and and, like the reason I talked about like the not caring stuff or not really having a heart is that this film is like this film's point to me and like this plot point to me does feel like someone just going like oh and what if actually it all sucks and was a lie and yeah. it just kind of uh, came out of nowhere and, and actually you're having a, a bad time and it, and it doesn't earn it, I think. And I don't think it feels, it doesn't feel like a character move. It feels mm. like a formal move. It f- yeah. doesn't feel like uh, uh like that plot twist should will work, has has worked a million times in films that are interested in character or story, which you don't have to be interested in. But if you're just doing that move as a formal move, as like, or what does this say about film? Mm. It is like it's not that good a move, and it does get us to the best scene of the film. He's wracked with despair, you know, because he's ruined his life for this woman. Yeah, and so he gets a bunch of dynamite. He wraps around his head. He lights a wick, and he's like, "I'm going to kill myself." But then he's immediately like, "Oh no, I shouldn't do this!" <laughs> and panics, starts trying to put it out, but he doesn't. So his head explodes, and it's great. Yeah, um, but and like, dude, like it's it's like a lot. Like imagine how much dynamite you think he puts on his head. <laughs> And then realize it's like way more dynamite than this. I would say I would call it an improvised kendo helmet, or like an yeah, improvised yeah. bomb disposal uniform around. But just for yeah, the no, head. He, he looks he looks great. He looks like it's, a dog a who's just had him. surgery. As well, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and like that is a great bit, and it, and and it is a nice conclusion. But it feels like the end of an essay. And fuck, there are many films that I love that are essays, but they don't... Okay, no, here is the thing. Goddard was breaking rules at the time. That is 
empirically proven and that is part yeah. of what makes it cool but we're so used to this shit and we're so used to people doing this shit while also making us like hey I've, there have been so many iterations on films like this but where like it's as gonzo but like you care about the characters mm. um or or the the theme is more nuanced or there's simply not yellow face in it you know yeah and that like i don't it's so cool but it is and it is certainly i'm not calling it sh- shite yeah it is cool but it is not it's not sound i don't think i i want to be harsher on this shit yeah, like I, 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 I we've got art. I, I kind of don't feel qualified to call this film's shite. Like, you're a human with an opinion. Um, you can say whatever uh, the fuck sure. you want. Yeah, shut up. Uh, oh, sorry for trying I, to empower you. No, how, how dare you? Didn't really connect with this film, but like, there are so many things about the look and feel of it that I that I think are fantastic. Yeah. there are scenes that I that I really love. Yeah, I, I'd say it's an and as well. I just think the key thing, again, I previewed this opinion earlier. It is transparent to me that this film is on this list because Jean-Luc Godard made it. Sorry, Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, And I like, that is an issue considering that this film comes out of a movement designed to fight orthodoxy mm. and, and and while oh, and that is not a diss on Goddard Goddard has gone on and still fights fucking orthodoxy yeah but but like there's a real rot uh, at the heart of international film culture where it, it is still it is like oh yeah no you're right we shouldn't like those French films from the 50s it's the ones from the 60s and, uh, you know, I think it is worth, but it's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks so good. Who shot it? Who shot uh, it? Yeah. Raoul Coutard. Good work, Raoul. Uh, great music by Antoine Dumal and, mm. and Francois Collin, who I believe was his editor on most things. Yeah, and uh, was also, yeah, yeah. And apparently one of the assistant directors doing uncredited work was Jean-Pierre Lourdes. Ah, lovely. Uh, the, the, was he the mother or the whore? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, he, he was, he was Viva. Oh yeah. Like the band. Interpol. Yeah. I don't know why I chose them, but anyway. Like the band, the band. So Finn, I think we both are... We both agree that we are mixed on this film. And uh, yeah, no, I like my key thing. Sorry, the key point is it should mm. not be on this list. There are a thousand films better than this. It, like, in, like, and I just don't like it is that, that people can praise Goddard while so thoroughly missing the point. Cause like, I don't think Goddard is happy <laughs> that he is on the, 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 the shite and sound top hundred five times in the top 250, he, like eight times. 
Like yeah, he's, like he, he he doesn't like a lot of these films that are on this list. Yeah, he when they offered him an Academy Award, uh, he said no. Yeah. And so it is it is the thing like if we praise we being like film shit, the film community. Yeah. Praise ourselves for really looking at, at work that expresses complex ideas in new ways. That it is like looking at the work, the the work of Goddard. That is like we can't just when we center when we center men, they suck, and we should care about everyone. Going like, oh, you're right. Let's give you twenty spaces on our top one hundred list. Reveals that we are lying to ourselves hmm. about it, about about the whole situation. And so, yeah, like you like. <laughs> yeah, the people who voted to put this film on the top 100 like uh, uh, like Goddard, but do not understand his work at all. Uh, and but I think we can both agree we're both incredibly mixed on this film. Yeah, I don't uh, think uh, anyone yeah. could be anything other than mixed. I don't know anyone who could have any really well, definitive feelings on this. I'll tell you what: you there are some people who think that this film. Is a giant pile of shit. I mean, yeah, we both came quite dangerously close to <laughs> saying that, even though it's it's so cool. It's so cool. Uh, here's a half-star review by Lidbox user Hannah K. Uh, this is my second Godard film I've seen, and it didn't fare any better than the other Band of Outsiders. Uh, the almost narrative is covered with bizarre scenes and moments that kept making me say, what does that mean out loud? <laughs> People die, and I don't know why. People quote things, and none of it connects. Small Asian men with guns are suddenly in people's houses reading typewriter printouts, and I don't know what's going on. I can't make any sense of what's going on, but neither can I let go of the linear narrative and try to construct an emotional response, because every time I try to do that, it returned to the narrative and pretended that it was a straightforward story. Because every time I tried to do that, it returned to the narrative and, and pretended that it was a straightforward story again for a little bit. This might have all sorts of important meaning, but I wasn't able to follow this on either a cognitive or instinctive level, and that just made for an infuriating movie viewing experience. That just seems like someone who is not picking up what the film is so clearly putting down. Like, it feels yeah. like, for all that we may have philosophical qualms about it, like, the craft of this film is, in many places, immaculate, and I th- the, the opening drifting through scenes... Just following him as he barely connects, you know, one scene that turns into a musical number is yeah. so clearly training you as an audience member to, to to follow association and image rather than what everything means. And that, I think, is just... Haneke, I don't think you are as open as you think you are. Uh, would you like to guess their top four films? Yeah. Are they all in English? There's one of them which has uh, some uh, French and Spanish. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I'm not sure. I haven't seen it. But um, all four of them are predominantly in English. Oh, good. I mean, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, Hannah K, that that sounds like the top four of someone who audibly asks, what does that mean if a Goddard film? But anyway. So, uh, the, the first film on the list is on the Sight and Sound list. Uh, okay. Uh, have we watched uh, it yet? We have. There is a character in it called Laszlo. His name is Victor Laszlo, but the film is 
I've forgotten what film Victor Leslo is in. <laughs> It's God, one of I the most famous films of all time. I can't believe that I wish I got the deep fact that the yeah. surface is... Is it Touch of Evil? No. No. Is it? No. Okay. No. Uh, he's played by Paul Henry, also appearing in this film, Conrad Veidt, Sidney Greenstreet, Peter Laurie. Uh, M? No. What the fuck? Oh, um, Casablanca. Yes, Casablanca. God, Fuck, genuinely just gone from my mind. Horrifying. Uh, the second film is directed by someone who directed a film on the shite list. The Postal? Uh, no, this is a film that you like. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. You, you, you like this director at least. Okay. Uh, is it, it's American? Uh, it is. Uh, it is Australian and American. So it was shot in Australia? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Is it franchisey? Uh, absolutely not. Oh, so is it serious? Uh, it's, it's, like, it's like fun serious. It's, it's, it's an extravaganza, but it's... Oh, is it, is it, is it, uh, uh, is it an adaptation? I believe so. Uh, is it a musical? Uh, pretty sure it is, yeah. Is it... Okay, so it's a Baz Luhrmann film? It is a Baz Luhrmann film. Okay. It is, ha- like, I just don't know if... It's not strictly ballroom. Uh, no. Is it Moulin Rouge? It is. I believe Moulin Rouge is... Moulin Rouge is an adaptation of La Vie Bohème, but is... And it's, it's largely a new work. Right. Yeah. It, that's not my favorite Baz Luhrmann film, but it, it is, I think, with the, re, the new rise of, of sincere camp in the wake of fracking enthusiast RuPaul's <laughs> drag race, um, I think it will age very well. And it's just, yeah, it, it is, it's not a crime to have a good time. Yeah, uh, the uh, the the third film on uh, on Hannah's list is uh, uh, is a best picture winner. Oh, okay. Did it deserve it? Uh, yes, but a generation of people were very mad because something else deserved it more. Uh, so recent ish? No. Um. Oh, what decade? Uh, 70s. Uh, um, is Linda Catalini in it? Uh, she is not. What the fuck, Linda? <clears throat> um, what the fuck, Linda? Um, okay. Where, uh, oh, pff. has it been parodied on The Simpsons? Uh, not that not does this, not help. <laughs> not, not this movie, I don't think. But, but, but the the director and star definitely has. I, I'm pretty sure. Is it a crime film? Uh, no. Is it a war film? No. Okay. Is it a comedy? Yes. It is one of the most famous comedies of all time. Ah, oh, okay. 
from the 70s. Yeah. So the Godfather Part 2. Uh, correct. Um, what? I just, okay. Um, is it like, oh, have I seen it? Yeah. Do I have it marked? Oh, fuck. Did Yellow Submarine win the Best Picture Oscar? Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so, no. Uh, uh, that's a real... That's a real shame. Some of the uh, not uh, stars of this movie, uh, Carol Kane, Christopher Walken, Paul Simon, Kelly Duvall, Dick Cabot plays himself. <laughs> Pennies from Heaven? No. Jeff Goldblum's in it. On Nashville? Um, no, no. What the f- Oh my god, come on. Carol K- One of the most famous comedies of all time. And a one best picture. One best picture. And a, and a bunch of people were very, very mad because something else came out that year, but they thought deserved best picture. Because it was um, the best movie ever made, and, they, and they're going to base their entire personalities around it for decades. Is that... What is the film it beat? The, the, the film it beat was Star Wars. Oh. Uh, and... Uh, 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 what? Give me, give me a crazy clue. Read me. Oh, come on. Just tell me and I'll go fuck, of course. Uh, okay, so it, it was written, directed, and star. It was written by Director Land, starring the same person. Uh, th- th- this was his first film, I believe. Oh, okay. Ooh, no, okay, no, I'm wrong about that. Oh, it was not his first oh. film. Any Hall. Yeah, yeah, it's Any Hall. Yeah, yeah. So I just have really pushed Woody Allen out of my mind yeah. after that the the Pharaoh documentary because he's such a cunt. Like fuck that yeah. guy, it's so bad. Uh, correct. And um, then uh, the fourth film on Hannah's list is another film that is aged poorly from the early two thousands. Picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, no. Uh, Did it, you get it? it? Did you get it though? Yeah. No, I got it. It was a breakout for for quite a few English actors. Was it one of the Lords of the Rings? No. Is it a, is it a franchisee? Uh, no. Early or is it like a romance? Uh, yes. Ah, oh, is it all around? No. Nope. Okay, so it's not love actually. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's love actually. Yeah, love actually is all around. It's the title drop. No, I, I I've, I've never seen it. Okay, I'm going to read you the opening narration. <laughs> this is how the film starts. The f- right. Romantic comedy love actually, a film I genuinely quite enjoy and have written fan fiction about. <laughs> One second. Uh, this uh, was released in 2003. This is Hugh Grant. It's just narration. It is footage of people um, meeting loved ones at the airport, you know, getting off planes, running and hugging people. And over this. Right. Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion starting to make out that we live in a world full of hatred and greed. But I didn't say that. It seems to me that love is everywhere. 
Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from people on board were messages of love or, re- or of hate or revenge. They're all messages of love. You look for it. I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. A year and a half after 9-11, Richard Curtis was like, yeah, do you know what this will sound good in? Hugh Grant's voice as as a sex predator prime minister. Luckily, Britain has never had one of those really. (laughs) I just got to look up uh, how how many uh, prime ministers England has had. Uh, I'm just gonna look at our current, the current UK Prime Minister. Look at his Wikipedia page. Oh yeah, incumbent, conservative, children, at least six. At least six is what it says. At at least six. Jesus. What a what a uh, what a country. Great job. Hey, let's remember, he is American. Is he? Born in New York. Yeah. He'll be president next. (laughs) Great idea. (laughs) I would really like to see how America, a country that is already teetering on the edge of immolation, um, that... But that has spread its roots so deep across the world that the rest of us will all perish in the fire. Yeah. I'd really like to see what a nation like that would really be like with a bloviating, bewigged, um, celebrity psychopath at the helm. I think that'd be pretty, it'd be a wild four years. But man, we would definitely get some books afterwards of people being like, oh, no, I was secretly good, actually. Yeah. Was, we'd we'd get some great protest music out of it. Oh, yeah. Like, um, what was that Taylor Swift song where she was like, calm down? Yeah, I think it's called You Need to Calm Down. And, and it was all like, oh, yeah, let's look at all these thin, hot people and – Look at all those fat people. They're homophobic. Fuck them. And you're like, mm, Taylor. No, no, that's how it is. Look. No, look, here's the thing, Yufa. <laughs> to oppose fascism, we all need to realize that what you look like, and specifically fitting certain aesthetic standards of health, of, of health and beauty, that, that's how we define whether or not someone's a bad guy or not. I do not disagree with you to the point where like I am a fat man, but I, you know, I've, I've, I've had gay sex in my life, and I have to tell you that in those moments, I made sure to be as furious at myself as possible. <laughs> Good. Unfortunately, I was so angry, I threatened myself with a gun, and that just made it better. It's a vicious circle. <laughs> so, Finn. Yes. Did you like the honeymoon killers? Uh, yeah, I did it. I, I, I was watching. I was like, man, this thing, uh, whips. It's making me feel super, super bad. Yep. I, I, I assumed that response. 
And my response to that is not, I don't like it because it made me feel super bad. Mm. But I just, I just want to set this up. Like, let's remember, this is the second film I've ever seen. Yeah. To me, this is the Nouvelle Vague, <laughs> even though it is, in fact, quite similar. Um, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think going ahead, I will agree with a lot of your opinions, uh, except, and, and th- I just want to set the frame before I ask mm. you to sell this film to me in the form of a plot summary and, you know, breakdown of its history. Because uh, this is based on a real case, uh, yes. using the real names of the real people. Yeah. Um, and, and it is, it starts with an opening card that's like, this is true, you know, this, this is, is based all on true. Um, yeah. Even though which, a lot which is, of it is not. Which, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it is, it is, of, of the film adaptations of this real series of murders, it is, I believe, the most accurate. But yeah, it's not not saying a huge amount. There have been several. There was like a TV documentary docker drama about it that was more accurate. This is me reading Wikipedia pages. It doesn't fucking matter. Mm. It's heavily fictionalized, which is in principle fine. Yeah, um, you know, starting on the scale of uh, combining a couple of people uh, in in Titanic <laughs> to. Bargo being based on the real event of crime sometimes happening in the Midwest. Yeah, it's based on the real event of the writing of the film Fargo. <laughs> yeah, of them, of money once having been in a bag at some point. Yeah. Uh, it's, based, it's, it's, based, it's based on Joel Cullen driving past a woodchipper one time while it was snowing and going, ooh. Yeah, thinking about how I'm, much I mean, he you could see in there. <laughs> I, in principle, I have no issue with fictionalizing, but like yeah. this is a grindhouse film. Uh, a lot of reviews compare it to the work of John Waters. Mm. Um, it is and that, it, that, that's mainly because there, there is a fat woman in it. Oh, and like everyone, it, 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 and everyone except for the fat woman is doing bad acting. <laughs> um, no, Doris Roberts is 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 is. Uh, I don't know. Um, which one of them is Doris Roberts? Uh, is the friend who helps him her fake the suicide attempt? Oh, Bunny! Oh shit! From Everybody Loves Raymond. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I always have because I, I've, I've watched a few things this year, which like it later turned out that Doris Roberts was in, and I, I, I can never recognize her at like this age because she, 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 she was also in uh, she was also in a new leaf, mm. and she's in like. Uh, she, she's in like a couple shots of the heartbreak kid, and I did, didn't recognize that it was her in Bose either. Right, yeah, God. But like, of, of films we've discussed on this podcast, the closest stylistic comparison is the Zodiac Killer. Uh, yes. And, and the thing the Zodiac Killer had going for it is that it was entirely a fabulation, like a. Well, biz- and also a failure on every level. Oh, yeah. Um, whereas this film takes uh, a, a real story about a woman who was seduced uh, by uh, a, a psychopath who had in, in real life already killed people into yeah. abandoning her children in the, in the film adapted into being a kid and then uh, kind of forced her into being 
bait for him. Yeah. And the, uh, I, I read admittedly while I was watching the film <laughs> quite a lot about, uh, what's her name? Martha. Uh, Martha about Nick. Martha, uh, the, the real woman. And, and she seems to be someone who had a genuinely horrific and tragic life. Yeah. Uh, uh, surrounded by uh, horrible people and mainly men who abused her and forced her to do things. And, and this film, and, and well, what is it, Sharon something? Sharon Shetler, the lead? Uh, her name is Shirley Stoller. Shirley Stoller, who gives an incredible performance in this film. Yeah. They take this woman and her real name in the headlines and they turn her into a character who starts as Nurse Ratchet um, and ends up becoming a powerful but jealous monster woman. Mm. Uh, uh, and th- that is, I, I ca- uh, that began to upset me more and more. And, and and because this film, it's from her perspective, Ray, the man, it, it kind of flits in and out. We stay with her more than we stay with him. It starts and ends with her as well. Yeah. Um, and, and this film is very much aiming to be a grindhouse portrait of evil. Um, but choosing a situation where it is... You know, does evil exist? No. Um, but, like, within a certain idea of evil, choosing this pair of people and choosing to focus on the abused woman and a lot of the fictionalizations in this film are to remove the horrible circumstances of her life and to make her colder and worse. Which makes for a great fun character in a grindcore film, you know, with a great mm-hmm. performance and this incredible grain. But they are doing it when when you look up those murders and when you look up this woman, it links to this film. Like there, there have been other adaptations of this story through to like there's an episode of fucking Cold Case in, about in, it. There's a movie called Lonely Hearts where the like guy is played by Jared Leto and this woman is played by Selma Hayek. Oh, fuck. Selma will do a great job, too. God, I love Selma. Anyway. Um, yeah. And, and they're, they're, they're being hunted down by detectives John Travolta and James Gandolfini. Oh, my God. Half of this cast is incredible. Yeah. What, 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 one, one of the victims is played by Laura Dern. Oh. Like, for all of this film's... The, the argument I will make against you is, A, the, yeah, I think doing all of that but using a real woman's name to do it is, I think, a tangible harm uh, uh, to a person and to ideas. And, like, I want to be clear. I think the way you solve that is that you change the names. You fucking change the names and yeah. change some of the locations. Because this film uses all the real victims and it's all... The- so yeah, that is like I really it really started to make me not like it. But what that showed me beyond an emotive thing is that I don't I I'm not gonna say this film is a bad piece of craft. I do not think mm. it is well written or directed. I think it is 
a film that is a success of performance and cinematography. But anyway, that is my right. huge challenge to you. Uh, convince me, and I am open to it, that this film is in fact good. Oh, oh God. Not, 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 not sure if I'll be able to do that. Sorry, <laughs> um, right, I'm just trying we'll, to give us a frame. Yeah, I know. So I usually really don't like true crime stuff. Yeah. I mean, true crime uh, grosses me out. Mm. Most modern true crime stuff seems to be developed with the express purpose of uh, making people, and uh, in particular women, uh, very afraid to ever leave the house. It, it is this mechanism for, for, for producing fear that is often disguised as like empowerment and fun parasocial friendship. And the like modern true crime industry uh, is so like abject to 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 me and the times where there is like true crime adjacent stuff that i do enjoy it is because it's like uh the forest of love and it it has like such an obvious disdain for the idea of true crime itself well and which, in forest which, which of i love, enjoy th- there are real events you can point to yeah, but, 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 it, 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 but it is also like massively fictionalized. Well, yeah, and it does not use any names or really yeah. beyond. It's, it's about the feeling and movement of it rather yeah. than any of the details. You would never mm. watch that and think that it any way reflects on a real person or event. Yeah. I mean, also because it's a Sion Sono film. And if you watch the Sion Sono film and being like, oh, this happened, you're like, Hmm, yeah, no, well, I've got yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that sounds like some, that sounds like something that would that would come out of his brain. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so what what I think what worked out this for me was like I mean, yeah, it is like is is like how effective the cinematography is and like how grimy and sad every single frame of this movie is. Yeah. And like it, it Bleak has essentially become a catchphrase, Mm. but like, understand this film is like clinically bleak. Like, it feels hollow. Of the murders they commit, you see, you see three of them, and Mm. there is a woman on a bus who you like see her body slowly shutting down from a pillow overdose. Uh, You see a woman uh, get bashed in the head with a hammer, and you see another woman uh, get 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 shot in the head. And, and there is uh, another woman who was kind of killed in a cut, you know, like yeah. like she she's being annoying and then she's dead. So it kind of feels yeah, like and, the cat killed her. Yeah, and the 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 way that all three of those those scenes are shot is so. This movie was shot by a guy called Oliver Wood. This is I believe uh, he's uh, the captain of the Gryffindor Quidditch team. That that, that is correct. Yes. No. Uh, I was also uh, uh, working up to that, but um, <laughs> sorry, no, it's okay. Uh, Played by uh, Sean Biggerstaff. This was the first film that he shot. Hmm. Uh, so this is from 1970, and uh, it, do- he, he, it, it does look incredible. Yeah, uh, he, he then didn't uh, didn't uh, shoot another film until uh, the late 70s, where he just did some some more kind like, of horror movies and like. Uh, and and like low, low budget kind of like uh, exploitation films. In in 1990, uh, he shoots Die Hard Two, Die Harder, yeah. and uh, 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 and The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, uh, starring uh, uh, Andrew Dice Clay. In 1991, he shoots Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which is the 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 best shot of the Bill and Ted's movies. Yes. 
As the 90s goes on, he shoots Mystery Date with Ethan Hawke. He shoots uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. He shoots Face mm. Off. Oh, wow. Uh, Whose face? Uh, <laughs> uh, great stuff. So, but <coughs> in, 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 in the 2000s, he, uh, he, he shoots all three Born Identity movies. Oh, so the first three? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, Holy yeah, shit. He shoots Born Identity, Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum. Yeah. And then while he's doing that, uh, he, he also starts starts working almost exclusively in in uh, bad comedies. So he 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 also shoots the Adventures of Pluto Nash, uh, I Spy, National Security. Then he does Freaky Friday and Scooby Doo Two, Fantastic Four. Starts working with Adam McKay and does Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, The Other Guys, Anchorman Two, and Holmes and Watson. Uh, and 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 now works mainly with Daniel Espinosa, who is the guy who did uh, uh, Go to Life. The oh, yeah. uh, the uh, not Venom movie. Uh, he uh, he shot uh, Child Forty Four and is uh, shooting the upcoming Morbius. Oh God! With Matt Smith and Jared yeah. Leto. But, but yeah, the like main things I'm interested in in his filmography are like the Honeymoon Killers, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and then the first Freeborn movies, which yeah. is like that like like uh, that, that's that's a bunch of fantastic looking films. He mainly does bigger, like, action-y stuff these days. He shot Grimsby. He did the Ben-Hur remake, uh, Jack Reacher 2, The Equalizer 2. Like, not, 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 a lot of, not a lot of good stuff these days. But I'm yeah. sure he does a good job on all of those. Uh, I yeah, so, yeah, of those, yeah, so, I have seen Jack Reacher 2, and I, hmm. I went in that f- into that film wanting to love it as a Macquarie yeah. head. But nah, yeah. it's just not there. Yeah, well, was was that one just written by Macquarie? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, because it was directed by Edward Zwick. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the last, the last um, samurai guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, like that, like that, that is a super interesting career, and this is a crazy place for that career to start. And the yeah, the, the, this this film is you 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 can tell it is a like late sixties low budget movie. It is. Like yeah. it, it is, it is super handheld, and maybe like way that the camera moves is it always feels like like someone is holding it, and it feels it feels like it, it is kind of like yeah. jittering out of like nervousness a lot of the time, it, and it, it'll like get in really close to people's faces. You, you'll see like not particularly good actors acting like they're dead, which isn't great, but just like the like way he goes in on their faces is is really really affecting. Well, like the the one big the one big uh, movie fact about this film, Leonard Castle was originally just the producer and writer. They hired yeah. Martin Scorchese to direct it, and they fired yeah. him after the, 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 a week. This was supposed to be his second movie. So yeah. he, he, uh, he, he had already done uh, Who's Getting Knocking at My Door the uh, previous year, I think. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, yeah, he, he was supposed to do this. Uh, it uh, uh, didn't work out. Uh, I, think, I think he like, didn't get along with Castle. The core reason, the, the reason that is cited by both sides is that he wasn't shooting coverage. He was just okay. shooting wides, and they weren't being given enough takes to cut. Which And it just seems crazy to me that the, the most of the film we saw came from a version where they were shooting material to cut between. Because yeah. a lot of it does seem like the only angle they have on a scene. 
A lot mm. of it is really quite awkward. A lot of the uh, watching this after Pierre is interesting because they both have very jagged editorial rhythms. Yeah. Uh, but in Pierre, that's so fine, fine tuned uh, and so deliberate. Whereas in this, there is there are so many shots that start a little weird and you're like, oh, is that maybe the moment the leader tape started or stopped mm. or, or, or like beats that are a little weird and too long? And you're like, why is that? And it's like, oh, because I probably need to see her walking out of that door, but they didn't have something to cut to. Mm. Um, it, it is, it is, yeah, there is a, the texture, the texture of this film is it's very uh, handmade. Uh, yeah. Um, the the grain in the, the this black and white scope uh, sixteen mil scope image is so dense and prominent, but soft. So everything is kind of slightly in a haze. No one is really there. Well, we um, and it, it it's great. It look man, the cr- mm. Criterion have done an incredible job restoring this film. Yeah, um, and one of the things that I think is like really well done in, in, in the movie is the way that in the scenes where someone is being killed, the focus of the camera is always on that person. It yeah. is always about like their, it is always about like their pain and and, and like and their fear, life that is yeah. being taken from them. Yeah, yeah. And and so it, in in the scene where a woman is being force fed an overdose of sleeping pills, but like hasn't taken all of them, and is like kind of immobile on a bed while Martha and Raymond are like talking about how they're going to kill her. It, it is this like extreme close up on just her eyes and the top of her nose and yeah. her eyes like darting over the place as, uh, as you know, one of them says she has a gun in her dresser and you see her eyes dart over to where the dresser is, but it always just stays around her face from like the beginning of the scene until the moment where the gun is put up to her temple and the trigger is pulled and then, yeah. and then she's gone. And yeah, like you, it's- you, it's very clearly yeah. what Tarantino was riffing on for the opening of Kill Bill. Like, uh, like, a, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, I think that this is, like, the way that Oliver Wood shoots all of these scenes of fear and pain is so incredible and so overpowering that I think it makes up for, like, pretty much any other technical shortcomings that this film has. But those scenes are so visceral and so upsetting. But I, like it is, yeah. if you read the Wikipedia page, which I'm sure you've done, Francois Truffaut said that this was his favorite American film. And you, you, you I, like you, you, yeah. you, you can, you can understand why, why like Truffaut would, yeah. would, would say that. Cause this is, this is like such an explosive like piece of of like of essentially amateur filmmaking. Um, I definitely agree with you uh, about that 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 final killing, the one just on her face. I think, yeah. Um, uh, clearly the highlight of this film. Um, and, and like I agree with what you say about the philosophy behind it. But um, the the thing that got in the way with the the hammer to the head. Mm. is that it is funny um just like you can see it is it it feels like a scene from a john waters film and i just am immediately jarred by that i'm immediately shaken out of it um and that it becomes about like oh well they've got blood capsules under her hat um yeah like the the realism the the close-up on her eyes 
is there's nothing to distract you. And like mm. the the woman dying of, from the overdose on the bus, when they turn her around, she has her tongue stuck out like a child playing dead. Yeah, and it is, and, 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 and you can see her tongue move like uh, after yeah. she's supposed to be dead, and, it, and it, it's just funny. And yeah. the, all the dialogue in that scene and leading up to that scene, like um, uh, uh, Castle is a better director than he is a writer, uh, mm. and I don't think he's a great director. But like the the my problem with the like uh, you, the way you described her dying on the bus, I want to see that because that's not what I saw. Because I just kept getting distracted by the fact that like there is fucking utilitarian dialogue that there are films that do not need machined or pearlescent speech. Mm. But but this film is there's so much of it is just bluntly stating information that's obvious. There's like. Oh, we've killed. Oh, I've given her enough pills. The sleeping pills? Yeah, enough to kill her. Oh, well, we'll put her on the bus. And it is just like the the moments that land for me are the ones that are of uh, uh, implication. The other bit that affected me is when is is the final killing when um, we stay with Ray as Martha kills a two year old. Uh, in another oh, room. No, no, I think she, 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 she's like seven or eight. This bit for a girl, she like walks down into the basement. Oh yeah, uh, in real, yeah. Li- I, I, possibly in real life, that child was okay. Two. Right. Um, the, the, I, yeah, like the, the, yeah. That, that scene is uh, super fucking heavy. Uh, and, and, and oh, and that is when the film is aware of its restrictions and, and doesn't try it is like like the miracle of um jaws is of course that the shark prop sunk um and and so it is that like i think all the incredible moments of this film uh come from oliver wood knowing how to look and uh, uh that hitting moment where they genuinely just have to be like, oh, what the fuck do we do in this scene? I could just do a close-up on her eyes. I was like, yeah, yeah, mm. sure, whatever. Uh, or like, we can't show someone killing a kid. Oh, we'll just stay outside. Like, I don't... A lot of positive reviews for this film that I've skimmed, I'll admit, I think read a lot more intention into this film than there is. And I'm not saying there's none. Hmm. Uh, and and I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying that it, it it's it's moments of 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 real uh like scalpel pain um are ones that I don't think work the way the, I don't think they came became, came intentionally. Do you know right, what I mean? Yeah. Because when we see what it does when they have more resources and bigger moments, uh, it it misfires. Like the final moment is her reading a final love letter from him while the credits roll. And it just doesn't land emotionally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um But yeah, so but we meet her in a in a, she's working in a hospital. She's yeah. real mean stuff. Um, she she looks like Nurse Ratchet, right? I'm not making yeah. that up. Um, 
and, and she 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 she's go she's doing her rounds and she 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 catches like uh, she she catches one of the other nurses and a doctor making out in one of the hospital laboratories and she gives them both a good telling off and t- tells them how t- terrible they are for bringing the boudoir into, into the workplace and uh, and she 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 uh, she 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 goes home where she lives with her mother uh, who, uh, who who is being looked after during the day by her friend Bunny played by Doris Roberts yeah and uh, uh, and she she and she gets a letter uh, say, uh, saying oh you 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 you've been accepted into into Aunt Carrie's uh, friendship club which is like a, a, a uh, which is essentially a like a like lonely hearts mailing list. Mm. And she 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 gets she she gets mad about this and she's like oh who signed me up for this and Bunny's like oh I did it you you know you you just need a man in your life that'll fix all your problems and so she eventually decides to sign up for it and she gets a letter from a man named Ray and Ray <laughs> is uh, do uh, Ray is played by an actor called uh, uh, Ray is played by an actor called Tony Lobianco mm. who uh, was. Uh, uh, who was on like a bunch of cop shows around this time was also in the French connection and Serpico. Mm. Not like a massive name, but like a big name for a movie of this size. Yeah. Uh, And he is a suave Spaniard who makes his living by seducing women through the mail. I mean, uh, stealing all their money. Yeah. The, the lonely heart scam, um, Mm. uh, uh, which is now catfishing, right? Uh, it, it It has long been a thing. Um, and he is, it is interesting how the, the film looks upon this character, because he is, like, of the choices uh, I respect about it is the fact that you're never supposed to buy his charisma, like it seems almost like a magic trick, that, that she just falls in love with him and all these women fall in love with him, and you understand that it's just like a con man's graft, you're never yeah. asked to. You never sit there as a person going like, "Oh, well, I would run oh, away wow. with him." Yeah, like it, 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 in 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 the Forest of Love, even though like Joe Morata is so obviously evil, there are moments where Kipeshina is just so overpoweringly charismatic that you're like, mm. "Oh, I kind of buy it," and mm. then, I mean that that goes away because uh, you're like a sane person with like uh, with a faculty of reasoning. But yeah. Like yeah, that, that, that n- never really happens here. But when he is in situations with Martha, and he is trying to be charming, and she just like yeah. doesn't even know how to pretend to be charming, those are the moments where you get the like real sense of of him as as a like smooth operator. Yeah, and you also get a sense of him as uh uh like trickster god kind of. Mm. Like, like he he has all the power, and and I think like and I think this is all very interesting. But it is all me building up to the point that like I think a lot of this hinges on the fact that it's not a very good performance. Uh, I I I think the film, our reading of the film, which is valid. I'm not telling yeah. you you're wrong. Is it, bad. Like us going like, yeah, it's interesting that he's not charismatic. Um, uh, is I think simply the fact that this guy it, it is telling that he is a professional heavy you know this is one of the rare times he's not playing a mafia member 
Yeah. Um, which is like a terrible thing for casting to racially profile him as. Like, mm. I'm not, that's not an endorsement. Um, but he, he, he is, the, the film puts a lot of weight on him, even if not a lot of time. And, and he just does not, I think he is a real gap at the center of this film. Uh, the reason right. the star is as much as I agree and love Oliver Wood's uh, photography of this film, uh, Shirley Stoller as Martha uh, expands and is like, "Oh, fuck you!" Okay, this is this is a star show. If you're not going to yeah. bring that, I'm going to be like, uh, you know, bio queen divine is this broken but furious like uh, uh, a spurned woman who just desperately wants uh, both love and for no one else to ever have any love. And and so she becomes this kind of like demonic, uh, but kind of gracious and like impish character, which is always like, I just found her incredibly compelling and incredibly charismatic as much as like, obviously in most scenes where she's interacting with people, she's being like, fuck you. I hate you. You told me you wouldn't do this. She is being so rude all the time and, and does, does not seem to understand the idea of being nice, even to trick someone. Yeah. Her emotions are in such control of her. That there's nothing she can do to hide them. Yeah, absolutely. And she also, like, and and it is a performance that that feels to me like essentially shaped around the three major beats. One is that, you know, she signed up to a Lonely Hearts column. The second is is that when her boyfriend is like, I don't want you to come to, to New York. I'm a con man. I meet up with women and I steal their money. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't stop for a beat. She's like, Oh yeah, of course. Cool. Sweet as yeah. uh, I'll help you out. And then at the end, her final moment in the story, which isn't, which is an entirely fictionalized beat, which is that she is the person who calls uh, the police because yeah. she realizes he will always sleep with other women which yeah, is yeah. Um, an interesting end for the character, but mm. uh, 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 a uh, horrific uh, um, act uh, of libel against uh, a real woman with a terrible life. If you understand mm. what I'm saying, but anyway, but yeah, like yeah. Shirley Stoller, like fucking five stars. Hooray for her. Well, yeah. Okay. So this is the first thing she's listed as being in. The next year she was in Clute with Jane Fonda, Donald Sutherland. A few years after that, she was in Seven Beauties, uh, a film by Lena Wertmuller, which is like a classic of 1970s Italian film. Uh, the uh, first film directed, uh, the first time a woman was nominated for Best Director, I believe. Oh, uh, right. Uh, then uh, in, in 1978, she, 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 she played, uh, she, she was in The Deer Hunter. She, she was one of the main characters, Mothers. Mm-hmm. I, I assume she's dead now. But yes. in, uh, uh, the like last major film she was in what was in 1992. Uh, she she had a bit part in Malcolm X, uh, and uh, uh, there is a theory uh, held that she, under the name uh, Shirley Kilpatrick, was the astounding she monster in the astounding she monster, a 1958 mm. science fiction film. Um, 
but she was a massive stage actress. But well, like mm. uh, like she was she was big in the stage scene um, as, right. as a character actress up to this point. She wasn't she wasn't coming from nowhere. They they oh, were okay. both yeah. largely people on um, on the stage. These two leads, mm. um, and yeah, so she that she she joins him as his quote unquote sister. Is um, he continues to fleece women? And eventually, one day, uh, she she has enough and poisons one of them with sleeping pills, uh, uh, saying that it was because she she knew she was starting to cotton on, or she was getting annoying. But yeah. it was, um, but, uh, but it was because she was pregnant to Ray. Um, uh, uh, it seems, and. And that is, and that's the woman they leave on the bus. Um, no, no, no. The, the, oh, the one before the, that. One of she kills. One of the bus is the first one they kill. One who gets pregnant is the last one they kill. No, but the fir- the one on the bus was also pregnant implicitly to Ray. The reason she kills the first one, it's the night of a wedding, and she keeps going into Ray's bedroom and trying to sleep with him. Yeah, and that's so true. and and so Mark gives her the sleeping pills to make her go to sleep. And she gives it too many, and she she eventually dies of an overdose on, on the bus the next morning. Yeah, but they deliberately overdose her. Martha does. Yes, Ray, yes, Ray, yeah, 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 yeah. Which, and because this is a particular pain point to me, just to stress, making it that she started the killing uh, is, yeah, slander on a dead yeah. woman who was for, yeah, and, yeah, sure. and it sucks. Anyway, um, but that's not me, that. That's for me for the record, and not me attempting to rebut you, Finn. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah, so then it becomes a kind of episodic narrative, uh, or, or like even like a run of a tiny TV show, um, where they they he hooks up with a different woman. And Martha yeah, grows but, more and more furious until yeah, she, she, they she die. tries to commit suicide in a lake. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so after that, uh, uh, after that, uh, Ray buys her a house so that, that, that they can like uh, so they can be- begin the process of settling down. And uh, there is a bit in this sequence where they're out of money and they they can't, they can't afford to keep up payments of the house. And the most recent woman that they've sent a letter to hasn't responded yet. And Martha says, oh, yeah, I, I, could, I could go back to nursing. I could, I could get a job again. And Ray, who's an Italian actor playing a Spaniard, just look, looks like the, the like, absolute stereotype of, of the, like, like, bad Italian husband. He's got the gold chain and, and, the, and yeah. the white singlet and the receding hairline. Yeah. And, 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 when, and when she tells him, no, I, I could get a job, it'll be fine, he, he, he's like, no, no woman's going to support me, mm. which is uh, a, a very good joke because the, mm. well, the entire movie is uh, him stealing women's money. And, like, like yeah. yeah. And, like, he... Yeah, and it's a great moment where like, he he like does not realize his like insane misogyny, which is uh, mostly cultural rather than a personal issue, is so intense that he like finds the idea of his wife having a job so much more offensive than the idea of like killing women and stealing their money after tricking them into thinking he loves them. Like that, that, that's yeah. just like a normal thing. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, like maybe another thing that coloured my watching of this is that me and Bri just finished 
my my third or fourth time, but her first time through Bound, the Wachowski sisters' uh, debut, which yeah, well, uh, one, one one of one of the great debut films of all time. Oh, it is every time I watch that film, uh, I I see a new level of like invisible like. As much as it is uh, a, a small stakes heist movie set in two mm. rooms with clearly yeah. a max of three days location shooting, um, or four, the, the scenes in the bar, um, mm. uh, uh, there is just all this immense craft in every moment of it. But like the power that film has, the trick it has is that it, it is entirely about... Um, uh, how uh it doesn't matter what women can do men have the power uh, mm. because of society and that uh they can tell whatever fucking story they want and that the only answer is to kill them and that the real threat is a man's pride being wounded like that film is yeah. about joe pantoliano just perpetually going like oh you thought i was the worst type of misogynist now i'm worse now i'm worse <laughs> oh what a performance what a cast um and, and that and that hits that so hard and so well uh also while telling a story about it that that's about other things you know and it's yeah. about how do you get someone out of the room so you can get the money in the paint cans. Whereas when when the honeymoon killers does interesting things, like that that the argument you were describing, I could get a job, I don't want a woman to look after me. That is just an island in the film. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like it doesn't yeah, lead yeah. into or out of anything. Um well like I can you know, you know what I'm saying. Like it doesn't sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it, it's it's not like the film is about that. No, and it is that like the pun the the bits of grind grindhouse I love or really engage with are the ones and, and like noir all being kind of shades of the same thing are ones that realize that their best trick is efficiency. Right. And, and so, like what I am saying is like that film. I love that scene. I love what it does thematically. But yeah. by having that scene, it just feels, it's just like, this film is nearly two hours. Like, yeah, what? I, like, I, 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 do, I do wish this film was shorter. This film being 79 minutes would, would like, make it so, like, you know, so much better. Sure, yeah. And you could not, you wouldn't have to cut anything. You just have to concentrate it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's, like, a bunch of stuff in the first hour, in the, in the first like half an hour, which you could like, yeah, which you could condense very, very easily about without yeah. losing any of the like atmosphere or the mood that that that, yeah. that, that the film is creating. And yeah, like, yeah that, 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 that's that's my big problem with it is like, it, yeah, it is at least like it is at least fifteen minutes too long, and yep. like it should, should probably be shorter than that. Oh, yeah, and I and I want to stress, hopefully on both of our behalves, that we're not talking about like oh this 1968, 67? Uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it, uh, it came out seventy. Oh, this nineteen seventy film isn't paced like a twenty twenty one film. No, it's like this is slow and baggy for a nineteen. Like I wish this film yeah. had the pace of the French Connection and mm. um 
since that is entirely within writing and editing, there's not a budget reason. You know, like, this film's sound is appalling, but, like, it is the best they could do under the circumstances. I'm not mad about it. I could tell what people needed, what people were saying, you know? Um, Mm. I just just want to be clear on what the complaint is. Um, But things start to go wrong for them. Why is that, Finn? I mean, they're murderers, but like they're, yeah, they're monstrous like, murderers. Yeah, it, it's it's sort of hard to get away with that forever. Yeah, there is a long sequence, maybe twenty five minutes, where they go up to Albany, New York, to get this like sixty five year old woman to marry Ray. They get her to come back with them uh, without telling any of her family, and write some ten write a ten thousand dollar check that they'll be able to cash after they murder her. Uh, then uh, they beat her to death with a hammer. Uh, and bury her in the cellar. Yeah, uh, yeah. Th- 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 this 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 sequence. Yeah, all, all, although there's stuff I really love in it. Could, yeah, you 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 could easily cut ten minutes out out, out of this um, out of just they, this victim alone. They spend a lot of time mocking her Christianity, which is very clearly there to like really mark these people out to its contemporaneous audience is like look at these horrible people they're mocking her because yeah, she's but catholic like, but like I, I i i think it does that in a way which like actually kind of feels transgressive in the movie v night comes for us the indonesian action film two of the antagonist characters are a lesbian couple and because it's the night comes for us they're also uh, badass fighters and uh, gangsters there's a scene where uh, the the two evil lesbians are going to have a fight with the like uh, with the uh, uh, with the uh, with the female protagonist of the movie, and the, all, all, all three of them are, are, are like in a house, and uh, uh, one of the evil lesbians walks over to the wall where there is a cross, and she puts a finger on it and like just turns her cross upside down, and mm. like because she's an evil lesbian, and so she and so she's like mm, Satan, rah. and it's a moment of like such like perfectly pitched knowing camp that I think it, it like it, it is it is a joke about the like homophobic idea of evil lesbians that, that it is like contributing to it. And this movie has the thing of like one of the victims is a is a nice old Catholic lady and they're, and they're, and they're mean about her. But like the, the ways that they're mean about her feel kind of actually daring for an American movie of, of this time. There is a scene where Ray has had to go to mass with this woman uh, to, to like prove that he's Catholic. When he comes home, he's he, he's talking to Martha, and he goes right into the bathroom. And, and while he's describing this mess that he was at and, and, and the prayers that he said, you could also hear him pissing very very loudly. Mm. And I was like, oh, there there is no way like this combination of sounds would exist in like a in like a Hollywood film at this time. This is unthinkable. I'm, and uh, I like the fact that because this is grindhouse trash, it can go a lot further in, in doing actually transgressive things like that. Uh, I have two points to make yeah. uh, on that. One is that I, th- I think uh, you agreeing with the, with the point is, is somewhat making you want to do a redemptive reading on it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the second is that I wish to use exactly the logic you just used to say that there's no better radical statement on architecture than Godzilla. <laughs> like, they, it, it is, I, I, and I understand it. I believe it is a valid reading. I do not believe it is the intended reading. 
Um, yeah. I think this is a film that that defines these characters in terms of their monstrosity, um, uh, uh, especially in how it is written and um, uh, and the 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 moments that take us away from that uh, uh, by the grace of of um, Shirley and Oliver. Mm. Uh, uh, and that they that they have found interesting things to play in that, and that I think it it no it does make sense to like it's a it's a thing it wouldn't be in a Hollywood film because they wouldn't acknowledge a toilet existed, um, yeah, yeah. but in a grindhouse film like I just uh, yeah and and like it is I just think it's accidental and I think with films like this it is like the conversation we always have we've had before and we'll have again about Sion Sono. Which is that, like, Sion Sono is the easiest film director who I, whose work I genuinely really appreciate. I almost said enjoy, but that feels like the wrong word. But, like, I'm fucking down for it. Like, I yeah. think it's good, and I think he's good. But he's the one I am the, ready to f- the readiest to flip on, because it would just be very easy for him to do one interview where he's like... No, no, everyone thinks I'm commenting on representations of women and violence, but no, 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 I just, I think it's good. You no, know, I, I like, just really love Oscar photography. Yeah, <laughs> and which is like a bit absurd. I trust our opinions and our tastes. Yeah. But it is like, like Louis C.K. shows us we have to be very careful who we trust irony with. Sure, yeah. Uh, and I do not trust this film with irony, which is again right. not to not to call it bad. But yeah, then yeah. then they uh, we we move quickly away from the 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 Catholic woman to he Ray is already shacked up with it with a young single mother, um, who uh. Martha learns she is pregnant and that it is Ray's. And, and so Martha just starts desperately trying to get her to take an overdose of pills um, uh, in, in a scene that feels both, it's tragicomic, it, it feels, it is, I think, the most um, John Waters scene because it is yeah. just this incredibly, like, like, uh, it, it is hard because, like, so, like a thing I really bounce off this film, which has nothing to do with the film, but it's a bit to do with the film, is that it is very hard to find anyone writing about it, um, and especially about Shirley's performance, Shirley Setter's performance, that does not aggressively focus on her weight, which mm. I do not think informs her character at all. She is not... God, it doesn't fucking matter obsesses about her weight the opening line on on letterboxd.com the honeymoon killers 1970 directed by leonard castle martha beck an obese nurse and it's just like we just don't like um but but like the this like this like powerful woman this dense woman chasing the small willow blonde thing like yelling at her to take pills but she's like i've got morning sickness i'm gonna go vomit and just like no don't throw up the pills don't swallow them and then like shoving them at her and it is like oh like you get like 
this is proper weird. This is proper yeah. interesting. This, 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 this like the a sense of like frantic desperation from every yeah. single person involved in the scene. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, it ends like the only way that scene could end, which is badly for everyone. Yeah. yeah with a yeah, two year old witnessing her mother being shot in the head. Yeah. And then being drowned in a sink. Ugh. What a film. <laughs> but she, uh, Martha lies to Ray. And says uh, she 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 had to kill her because she worked it all out. Yeah. Um, when in fact she realised that um, Ray was never going to be faithful to her, even though he keeps promising it. So she kills the kid and then calls the cops. There are some people who see that that final thing of like of her calling the police as like as like. Oh, she, you know, she, and she, now, now she feels bad about it. And oh, the, 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 the film's like trying to give her a like redemption, which like, yeah, no, it's like, it's very clear that she, she is not calling the police because she feels bad. She's calling the police to keep Ray away from other women. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, Cause she's, uh, a mon- like, cause she's abject. She's a monster. Hmm. She's not a person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also because like she, she, she realizes that like, even though she cannot make herself stop loving him, he, he he will he will never actually feel the way about her that she does, and he and he, he, he it, no no like he, even though he's constantly promising, you know we're we're we're, we're going to get settled down, we're going to get married. This is the last one, you yeah. know. Like there, there is always going to be one more, and he's always he he is always going to find a way to sleep with them, and she, and she 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 is always going to be just a means to an end for him. Yeah. Well, and the complexity of that, that there is debate about that moment is again, Shirley, because I think as it is written, well, as we can assume it is written, you know, the hypothetical Mm. page, looking at the words they say and the direction, it is simply the spiteful act of a woman scorned, uh, a, a reductive end point of just, ah, you know, crazy women. Because he he is a cool, slick con man, and in some ways, like a peak idea of masculinity, you know. Whereas she is, um, abject in a way that he isn't. She's the monster, and he's like, uh, the one holding the monster's chain, you know. And I think that's a great pe- again. She does so well. This film looks so good. There are so many good bits of it. I wish they weren't doing it to a a real woman who, Mm. from reading some Wikipedia pages, was trapped by a horrific man who used her to kill. Um, You know? Like, uh, and and like, tastes change over time. You know? Uh, I can, I don't, I don't think like I, I give it space for, um, uh, 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 I give, I, I grant it some leave for, you know, it's 1970. They, if they made it now, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this is a, a, a very famous, one of the most famous and, and sometimes renowned as one of the great. One Hit Wonders, it's a Knight of the Hunter. He did not direct anything else. Yeah. Um, 
I he, 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 he was a he was a composer before this, and uh, and I like, went and like was a was a music professor after this. Um, and it is, and you can kind of see that all the score is from one classical composer whose yeah, name I can't yeah, remember. It, it is all from Gustav Mahler. Yeah, that's right. But I uh, yeah. uh, apparently apparently Artibus uh Leonard Castle uh, wrote a bunch of other scripts, uh, but like stu- studios didn't really want them. But they they wanted more stuff like the Honeymoon Killers, and he wanted to uh, do like adaptations of uh, Bible stories. Uh, his, his big idea for his next movie was wasn't it was an adaptation of. Uh, uh, was called be, was called Bewitting at Canaan, I, yeah. I believe. Was he yeah. involved? Because in, a sequel was announced in Variety, but never got made. Mm. Was he involved in that? Uh, not as far as I can see. I presume it was just some rights holding company ended up uh, owning it, and were like, "We can make a uh, buck off this." Apparently, the plot was they had a final tryst on death row. She gave birth to, to to twins who were separated. Time skip forward. Those twins unknowingly <laughs> meet and become a Bonnie and Clyde accidental twincest crime duo, which yeah. is like, God, just give make that the plot of this. <laughs> you know, like it is. I know it seems like I'm dwelling, but it <clears throat> really it it like it it it. You know when um, milk is off, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and and the bottle or the carton is a little bulging, and you're like, I just have to get rid of it now. Like <laughs> I, I can't have it be in the house, yeah, because um, yeah. it might infect. Like that is how that was the feeling. Like it began to feel quite rancid to me, and that is like I'm in a very particular emotional state. We are we are still in week four of lockdown here because we're we're banking some of these just. But yeah, it, it and like I understand, like it, it. This film had an effect on me. It troubled mm-hmm. me, and some of it was the film being effective. Those moments we've discussed, but yeah. some of it was me being like, "This film has a dark heart, has a has ill intent, and is as much as this film we can redemptively read it and say that it is, um, a a, a critique of patriarchy and rape culture." which I think like any modern reading of it is such. And like, that's the reading you just presented and it's incredible. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't deny it, but like the fact that it, its own creation contained an act like that kind of, yeah, it makes it shite is what I'm saying. Uh, right. it, uh, I think it is another, like you should see it. It looks so good. I wish yeah, the version that I watched was, I think, the DVD remaster for Crazy yeah. and I, I would like to see the Blu-ray remaster. Yeah, because uh, I would like to see it in more than like six hundred by however many pixels. I'd like to see this oh, yeah. as it was meant to be seen. Yeah. Oh yeah, I used Sneaky Proxy to get to the Criterion channel, and so I got uh, all a thousand and eighty p of it. Um, oh, it's is- the good stuff. Oh yeah, no, it, it it Oh yeah, it looks great. It looks better than it should cuz as mm. as I said now let's say 2 hours ago it is that like the the aesthetic of this film, like the film 
as a, a set of images that looks beautiful but it's almost too clean for the tone of the film like you can't i want to watch this buzzing with static five vhs generations deep awash with noise and like oh like maybe like ads from when it was shown on tv in there like (laughs) it it it, it should be scuzzier Hmm. um but you like like Oh, I buy all your points, and I'm just being a stupid emotional man and sticking to my guns, but it it's it is a good film that I think is shite, you know right yeah, it's not um but do you call it sound yeah i I would call it sound. I'm also currently working a letterbox list called They don't make him like that anymore, thank God, your introduction to having a bad time with seventies cinema, and like <laughs> this is this is going to go on the list oh shit, yeah, like. Uh, you are not alone, uh, Finn. The, the, there's been a lot of reappraisal of this over time, many times. Uh, the people, um, it, it, it's getting a bit of a reputation as a minor cult classic. So it is not yeah. hard for me to find a positive review for it on letterboxd.com. Um, uh, some uh, pretty get real flowery and act like this is a undiscovered Kubrick film, uh, um, a crystal masterpiece of ticking perfection. Uh, There's a whole wave of people who've really gone in on being like, no, not only do I like this film, it's a masterpiece, which I think is, it's, it's not, not only do I like this, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's Edward Yang's first film. He never missed. Um, But it is, Imagine, like, Edward Yang telling this story. Yeah. Holy it'd, shit. It'd, it'd, be, it'd be seven hours long. It would be my favorite movie. Um, and, and and some of those, I think, are just people who, like, this film would be worse if it was a masterpiece. It needs to be grody and broken. Like, I talked yeah. about how bad the sound is earlier, and, like, I don't think it's here or there, but I do kind of think it is because like this film, if it was super slick and sounded incredible, wouldn't feel as gross. It would be less effective. The fact that it is not that, that it is flawed anyway, but like take all those reviews as read. They're all very long and they don't have interesting top fours. So I I found a top five, a five star review uh, uh, by Ricardo. Right. I presume, presumably Montalban. Uh, I, I believe so. Uh, which the, is the, a fi- star, the star of Spike, it's 3D. Which is a five-star review uh, uh, of this film that I think you will disagree with. Right. Great representation of greed and selfishness amongst the ordinary person because they feel like they deserve something in this life. And what can happen when these feelings mutilate inside one's mind unchecked, leading to dark and disastrous outcomes? That's right, Finn. This film is about normies getting above their station. That's the, what these two characters are. The <laughs> it also seems to be like, this guy thinks it's some sort of like libertarian text. Yeah. The weak preying on the weak and giving yourself fully into evil, was blown away by this, of course, but this is the kind of hopelessness I like to see in a movie. I'll be oh, about, 
I'll be thinking about this for one long ass time. Uh, now, uh, j- just for yeah, you, I, Finn, I, I, I disagree with uh, most of that take on this movie, but yeah, yeah. no, uh, that is, I think, just revealing that someone is like, I like this film, so I'm going to read my very particular um, philosophical ideas about uh, why the working class are terrible. Yeah, Finn, would you like yes. to guess to guess four films Ricardo has rated? Five stars on Leopold.com. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Okay, one. Uh, um, uh, okay. Oh, it is just hard. Okay. Oh, it's a, there's one that's about family. Uh, uh is, is it a fast and or furious film? No. It is quite uh, is, slow and long. Okay, uh, is it uh, is it uh, is it about the mafia? Yes. Uh, is it the Godfather Part Two? It is the Godfather Part One. Okay. Uh, the next one um, is an adaptation of a book. Uh, 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 high in towns. <laughs> Judging by the title, high in vitamin C. Something to do with lemons? You're in the right area. Something to do with oranges. Grapefruit Society. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we'll take a moment. Finn. Uh, yes. It's me. My name's Youth Universal. Uh, so I hear you've got a pet. It's called the Grapefruit Society. Excited. I love grapefruit. I love citrus fruit. Uh, mm. There are so many good films with, with citruses in the title. Especially yeah. the obvious one, Orange, is, there's a real famous film with that one in the title. But for, tell me, The Grapefruit Society, what the fuck? You got two... Well, it's a children's film. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's animated. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's, it's sort of like James and the Giant Peach uh, plus yeah. A Bug's Life, but it takes place inside a grapefruit. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, all, all, all of these, uh, all, all these uh, insects, uh, some of them microscopic, even have to figure out how to live together inside of this single piece of fruit that's uh, slowly decaying and rotting. Okay. So also, the high acidity is uh, <laughs> uh, kills many of them. How do the they? The ones that survive, they uh, they, they they become they, they become uh, resistant to acids and uh, take over the uh, the human world eventually. Uh, how does it move? Uh, like what power well, is it? Uh, the, the, what, what powers for grapefruit? Yeah. Uh, so, 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 someone puts like a metal rod into it, which like you know, you know, you 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 you, you can make like a battery out of a lemon with, yeah, yeah. with, with, the, with the acidity. Yes, yeah, so it's something they, they do that. And Look, we are rebooting a, the dark universe. Sorry, <laughs> I. I um, which is my middle name. My name is Youth of Dark Universe with its steampunk focus. So, do you think you could get a bit of like intricate, like cogs and ticking going on in that grapefruit? Oh, uh, you know what? I'm uh, I'm sure I could work that in. How could you? So, what would you call it then? Okay, so it's uh, so this 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 particular grapefruit 
is owned by uh, is owned by a 19th century watchmaker. Yeah, and uh, what and and uh, and and one day he uh, dies while working on one of his watches. Yeah, and he draws for grapefruit into uh, in, into into a box of. Okay. Uh, wait, wait, wait! wait. I've just got a call. I just got a okay. just got a call from my assessment. Grapefruit's too sour. What's what's a less sour grapefruit? Uh, an orange. Yeah, love it. Let's swap it in for that. Okay, it's called Orange Society. No, 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 bud. What kind of an orange is it? Uh, navel. No, what? What did we just talk about? This, the steampunk. Uh, oh, it's the, steam, the steampunk orange. No, the ticking. The clock, the- fuck, it's a fucking clock. Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's a clockwork orange. Ding. Did not re- did not realize that was the bit you were doing. Yeah, no, I know that was what made it so fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this next one, judging by the title, it's rich in iron. Uh, is it is it about a man? I mean, yes, but that doesn't is it really Iron Man. <laughs> no, 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 is no. It Iron Man Two. It's it doesn't have the word man in the title. It's about oh. a man. <laughs> uh, it's about what is. But you're thinking right about things that contain iron. I'm just being more specific. All, 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 all the movies about iron I can think of have the word man in the title, like uh, the like. Uh, but what the, in the a man, man has the, iron? The man in the iron mask. The man in the iron fists. The man in the iron fists too. Uh, what inside a man? Blood, blood has iron. Is is uh, uh, blood diamond? The blood diamond? No. Um, I don't know if there's blood there yet, but I'm assured. In the future, that I'm not not really getting this gesture. Not I don't. Not I, don't <laughs> I don't. I don't know if blood is currently there. Mm-hmm. But I have been assured in a word that. Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> right. It's, it will be blood. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, see, it wasn't. Uh, no, just one more. Don't worry. Um, hmm. Uh, oh. Uh, it's about education. Uh, is it uh, Bad Education starring Hugh Jackman? No. Um, uh, is, it, uh, uh, is it education directed by Steve McQueen? N- no. Oh man. Um, oh, those are the two I know. Is it um, a bad teacher starring Cameron Diaz? No, no, no. You're in kind of like it, it, it's 2003. Um, mm-hmm. It's a Richard Linklater film, but people often forget he directed it. Oh, School of Rock. Yeah, what a good film, right? Yeah. Ding. Linda Catalini isn't in it, but I would, you know. (laughs) There you go. That was a long trip. What are we doing next week, Finn? Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Next week, uh, we are watching uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer's Gertrude. Before there was Lars von Trier, there was... Carl Theodor Dreyer, the original master of sad Danish cinema. That is a movie about a married woman who abandons her husband for a new man, and then a third lover, uh, 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 and then a third lover ends her life. With it, we are watching Andrzej Zulowski's Position. 
starring Isabella Gianni and Sam Neill, a movie about a, a woman who leaves her husband for another man and then leaves that other man for a tentacle monster. Uh, yeah. A very, very good movie, which uh, I am uh, very sad I won't be able to watch with you for while he, while he sees it for the first time. Yeah, I will. Uh, this has two of my favorite film performances of all time from Isabella Gianni and Sam Neill incredible, deeply troubling work from both of them. This is the performance that like Sam Neill has said, I am uh, surprised that I was able to keep my sanity after being in this movie. That's <laughs> like, very troubling. Yeah, no, it, it was very, very intense on, on everyone working on it. But, uh, Zolowski, uh, weird dude. And uh, th- th- this movie is essentially him uh, taking his divorce very, very badly. Um, I look. I look forward to watching. As I texted you while watching the Sarkeesian effect, uh, they just misused the word Kafka esque. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no brain now. No thoughts. Goo goo gaga. I believed. Uh, um, uh, I'm expecting that feeling to become permanent <laughs> while watching this double bell. I expect Dryer to rock me into catatonia and then obsession to just mind freak me on 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 several mega angels of a scale. Position, not obsession. Oh right. Just thinking of that that real good OK Go music video with all the printers. That's that's obsession. God, it's depressing I have that right there in my mental fingertips. Finn. Yes. I got one question for you. What's are all fi- like okay, those are two film those are the two films, right? Are they yeah. all so are you telling me that all the films are about people like us who commit our own crime sprees? But mm-hmm. they they always fall in love. So is it are you trying to tell me something or are there other films that aren't about that? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there are other films that aren't about that. Yeah, sure, Finn, sure. And you just happened to show me two for, yeah, all right, okay. Like, I'll just say, I'm just saying, like, if you want to knock at that door, it's closed. I'm in a relationship <laughs> with gum, with a man I made entirely out of gum. I call him PK. After yeah. I th- PK Wrigley, right? That's what PK's I, I, named after. Yeah, yeah? Maybe. Anyway, well, uh, and I'm like, oh, you invented gum. And then I kiss him. And then my saliva just starts to melt the like sh- sugar outer shell of the gum. And it is every morning I wake up, my hair semi matted onto this man shaped uh, lump of gum. And, and so I've just, I, like, I go hope- for so much peanut butter. <laughs> That's the other thing we steal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but only in chocolate form. We get Reese's Cups and, like, the Whitaker's peanut butter chocolate. We, 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 we de-glove the peanut butter from the chocolate. <laughs> throw that away. Um, anyway, oh, I have another question. Yes. Where can people find you online? Who gives a shit? You know what you can find online? This very podcast. You can what? find us on Twitter <laughs> at ShiteSoundPod or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Why not check out our website? It's at ShiteAndSound.com. That's and 
the word not and the ampersand, you'd, you think it's actually quite a bad idea for us to be publicly broadcasting the details of our crimes. But uh, worked for the American government, am I right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to do like a siren, but like um, yeah. my 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 voice is starting to like uh, uh, like disintegrate from talking for so long. Yeah, so uh, did did not come out properly at all. So uh, have have another go. <laughs> You can sign up for my newsletter at bit.ly slash youthalives. Youthalives is where I'm at on all your various sundry social media platforms. Um, I have other podcasts. One is called The Witching Hours. One is called The Slow Path. Check them out if you like what I do, which I hope you do. Our theme song is The Nux. By Kazam Blam. You can check them out on Bandcamp. Hey, if you like the show, uh, tell your friends, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or just, you know, like, just send out a social media post being like, if you love good times with great guys, check out <laughs> Shite and Sound. I love this episode they did on two films about crime, which alternates between a spurious bit and incredible moralizing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's us. Like, that is the shite and the sound of shite and sound. (laughs) Is us being flippant and serious. (laughs) No no other podcasts are brave enough to both take themselves too and not enough seriously. Um, uh, Yeah. Tell your friends, please. Uh, Movies are good. Even bad ones. Go watch him. possessions they're possessors Matt from this week's sponsor possessor uh, David Cronenberg oh, I'm, I'm son. right now yeah Brandon Cronenberg David Cronenberg's son have you ever looked at the um, thought about the concept of the TV show Herman's Head and thought <laughs> you know I wonder if it, what it would be like if Andrea Riseborough was in there and I'm talking like you know Black Mirror Crocodile Andrea Riseborough, like the ma- you know that Mandy, that manic, like not not like that time she played young Thatcher, um, but like the time she's played total monsters, like like when she played young Thatcher. Imagine if she like could jump into people's heads, possess them, and then, uh, oh, like you won't guess where it's going. It it is. <laughs> Oh man! If, uh, if you ever want to see a movie where Andrea Riseborough has a penis, and then at one point uh, her, her head gets imploded into a scary mask, uh, watch Possessor. It's uh, very good. Possessor, do try it. <laughs> <laughs>